This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, October 8th, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. You can find them at manrubs.com. Mm. They got rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, anything you need to make barbecue great again. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear, stayreadygear.com. On Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Don't get ready. Stay ready. They've got holsters, custom Kydex. We have some uh, custom steak for breakfast gear hanging out here at the table. It's pretty good. Use the code STEAK for 5% off everything in your cart. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear can be found at Odyssey and Odyssey.com. Whether you're podcasting, apparently playing Weezer that nobody likes. God, this band's terrible. We go mellow on Friday. Mm. I'll find some more Eka Mouse for next time. There you go. Uh... Or in the podcasting game, like Noah, Antoinette, and myself. Odyssey.com's got everything you need to get you squared away. Headphones department. They're on Facebook, and they're on Instagram as well. Firearms. We love them. We lose lots of them in boating accidents. This song makes me want to use them. <laughs> Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. Got everything you need to get you packing heat and repping the streets. Newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Tactical gear done right. If you're a first responder, whether or not you're crappy or not, mm. Mediocre Medic's got everything you need to uh, wear that badge of honor in patch form. They're at MediocreMedic.com and on Instagram. And last but not least, the Duck Father, Mark Joe Friday, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. He's got everything you need in the tactical gear department. Patches, sweatshirts, stickers, t-shirts. I'm wearing coronavirus veteran today. Same flags hanging up right behind me. We've got duck patches all over our stuff in the studio. Mark's got everything you need to get that tactical gear squared away right. He's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. And they're at dumpbox.us. And on that note, episode 71, Steak for Breakfast podcast, Friday edition. Welcome. I'm Roan. Joined today by Noah. Hey. Antoinette's here. Hello, hello. On time for once. And we're (laughs) going to have Cagbro up in a minute. All right. Joining us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's an America First candidate running in Michigan 6. He's also been endorsed by President Trump, Mr. Steve Caro. Welcome to Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule on the campaign trail to come and uh, chat with us today about some issues going on. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. Another day in the dream running for office, and uh, it's, it's an honor to be where I am and to have this opportunity. 
and what an opportunity it is. Um, let's talk about that first of all. Now, um, how's the campaign going uh, thus far? I mean, we're, we're we're getting close. You know, we're, we're tearing through October pretty fast here, and and we're we're getting to be about a year out. And how are things going on the campaign trail for you right now? It's going well. I've raised over $200,000 by this point. That's more than anybody's ever raised in an entire primary running against Fred Upton and uh, got President Trump's endorsement. It, it's an unfortunate opportunity we have. You right. know, the fact that the establishment of the Republican Party is not delivering. We're losing our country and the status quo is not going to save us. We need bold, strong, proven conservative fighters. And that's what this is about. And I, I think the establishment is smaller today. Uh, than, than it's ever been. Uh, the Tea Party movement was big, but nothing like what we have today. We just need to unite. The grassroots needs to unite and uh, and recognize this opportunity we have to bring a strong conservative party forward out of the Republican machine. Yeah, and, and we've had quite a few of them on the show, including yourself now. Um, let's talk about uh, what was the kind of reasoning behind you getting in? I mean, I know you talked about Brad Upton, he's no fan of President Trump's, to say the least, and, and in turn makes him no fan of being or having an America First agenda. Um, what was it that really had you cross that line and say, you want to know what? Enough is enough. I see my state suffering. You know, I, I, I probably have been affected in so many different ways by the stuff that's going on. And, and, and now it's time for me to kind of get into the political arena. Right. So I've been involved in local politics for 10 years. I'm a sitting state representative now and, you know, been looking at running for Congress at some point in my life. Uh, you know, Fred Upton, he's been in office longer than I've been alive. Yeah. He's ranked, he's ranked the second most liberal Republican in Congress. And the straw that broke the camel's back is when he voted to impeach President Trump. That was awful. Mm. That, was, that was just, I don't know how you can... You know, when there was so much evidence out before that even got to the House floor, I don't know how you could be someone who considers themselves a Republican or even conservative and then go ahead and vote that way other than for a big virtue signal to some of the non-base. Um, all right, let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on, kind of affecting the country, but I'm sure affecting equally as much Michigan where you're at right now. Uh, first one is it's Friday morning and we just had a jobs report released here in the last hour uh, some of the worst numbers, and probably in decades, uh, only 194,000 jobs created um, for supposedly a sitting president who had the most votes in the history of the universe and, and should have unlimited political capital, uh, can't create jobs anywhere. Michigan's a blue-collar state. How, how do numbers like this directly affect your constituency? Well, it's a huge concern for the businesses. Yeah. We've got so many people who able-bodied people who are, you know, living off of unemployment and living off of welfare, uh, while at the same time, we have businesses who are desperate for more employees. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. At some point, we need to get able-bodied people back to work, and we need to be the uh, the beacon of, of free markets and opportunity, and, and, and we're just, we're, we're losing our country. We're losing our country at this rate. Yeah, it's definitely got to be affecting a lot of those blue-collar workers that live and work in uh, your district right now. Um, transitioning to something that's a really hot topic, it's it has been for the last week or so. There was a memo released last week uh, externally by the DOJ, which kind of outlined the fact that 
they were going to be working in conjunction with the FBI and uh, local school boards to try to identify parents who may not be big fans of things like uh, critical race theory, the reimagined sexual education format that they're trying to put into uh, schools as low as elementary, including to uh, mask and vaccine mandates and, and basically kind of, I mean, almost using like a version of the Patriot Act to kind of go after these parents who are uh, have some strong concerns in school board meetings. It's so wild. Yeah, labeling them and uh, maybe even going after them as extremists. I mean, I'm sure this is, is not something that sits with you uh, well. And, uh, you know, how do you feel about this stuff coming from Merrick Garland and the DOJ right now? It's just another example of government manipulation, coercion, intrusion in our lives. They want to... They want us to unite around their agenda. Right. This idea of uniting America—it's uniting around their agenda. You know, the the left, the radical left, seems to think that oh, everyone, you know, your your thoughts and your perspectives are are welcome, as long as you agree with us. That that's that's the process that they're trying to run, and um, and it's it's not good. It's not good. No, and definitely something that needs to be pushed back on. I know we've seen. Senator Hawley pushing back on it pretty hard. Um, you've seen some of the conservative pundits out there in, in the evenings pushing back on it. It, it was pretty interesting to see. We're going to talk about it later on, on, on portions of our uh, main part of the show that uh, Merrick Garland's daughter's husband is one of the per- people who actually has a lot of stock and, and, and influence over the uh, critical race theory material that's being distributed to the schools all over the country right now. Like he's selling it? Yeah, almost like he's selling it. Weird. So it's it's pretty funny how that stuff comes together in this technological age where uh, you know you think it's for one reason. You you see the memo come out, you hear the statements from Capitol Hill saying, "Oh man, these parents must be like threatening these school board members with their lives and stuff like that." And then you kind of just see it's like backroom handshaking, which transpires over into public intimidation by the Department of Justice and the FBI. Kind of really not good on their part right now moving forward the optics are pretty bad on that um, right and go ahead and the Repu- the republican party and conservatives we need to go on the offensive yes. what we've seen what we've seen for decades is the the left is going off a socialist cleft and the republican party just you know large the machine just largely tries to stay viable by being more moderate and we we never win the arguments we need we need to win the arguments we need to go on the offensive we need to make stands and and take positions and 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 win the argument we can't just play the center that that's that's not going to save our country no and it has been doing good for us for uh quite some time now so um it's good that you talked about that i want to touch on that moving on to the next topic i want to talk about um 11 senate republicans voted yes along with 50 democrats to break a filibuster and a hold on the final vote in the short-term debt limit deal Yesterday, uh, they included some of the regulars, uh, Barrasso, Blunt, Capito, Collins, Cornyn, McConnell, of course, Murkowski, of course, Portman, Rounds, Shelby, and Thune. Um, now, now you're talking about going on the offensive. Before we get into the budget and, and the debt ceiling stuff, what does that look like um, when you're someone who's kind of carrying that American First Agenda uh, label with you? Yeah, I think the the left right paradigm needs to be reassessed because people like Fred Upton, who I'm running against in the primary, and people like Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. they they try to brand themselves as moderate, 
And I think we need to rebrand them as establishment. It's these these elites on both sides of the the aisle who the you know cronies and the special interest groups in Washington. They don't like them because they're moderate and reasonable. They like them because they're going to do their special interests and crony deals. That's the paradigm that we need to be looking at and realizing that uh, the it, it, it's we have to win the branding. We have to win the branding. So, you know, that that's going to be a difficult thing for Fred Upton in my race, for example. I, all, all those these people who they, they try to act like they're reasonable people. It's like, no, we have to we have to paint them for, for what it is. It's not free markets that um, is to blame for large corporations being uh, what they've become today. It's, it's, it's the fact that large corporations and big government are in bed together. Yes. This is not free markets. And we have to win that argument. That's going to bring so many people across to our side of the aisle. If we make that argument, they are, they are ready to come over on that issue alone. We just need to embrace that as a Republican party. It's good that you point that out. You know, some of the uh, recent approval or lack thereof numbers that have come out in regards to Joe Biden and the current administration this week are, are some of the worst ones that you've never even seen. What's he at now? During, during any time uh, throughout the Trump presidency, you're looking at now from Quinnipiac, which is no friend of conservative anything. They're moderate to liberal when it comes out in their polling numbers. So they had 38% approval rating yesterday Oof. overall, which means it's, it's probably... Much lower. Right. Probably around 32-ish. And then, speaking of lower numbers, independence, he's polling in the high 20s. Which, going into the election season through November 3rd, they said he was up around 60%, which we don't, probably none of us think is true. Mm-mm. But, uh, you know, that those were numbers that they were running with then. Now they're saying he's polling around 28-29%. With, combine that with a... And remember, this is of two days ago. This doesn't include the reaction you're going to get from the awful jobs numbers this morning. 53% of the country right now is strongly for it going in the wrong direction. So someone who supposedly gotten 80 million votes, most popular president ever in the history of the universe, is now 70 points underwater with independence and over 50 you know, percent saying that the country is going in extremely the wrong direction. Let's talk about election integrity real quick. Uh, Michigan was definitely a state where, where there were some questions in the 2020 presidential election. You've got a really good guy uh, running for public office there as well. Matthew DiPerno, also endorsed by President Trump. Um, what are some of the things that you're going to do if you can uh, get in here and, and take it to D.C. about fixing some of the election integrity issues that we saw in this past election? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep fighting for election integrity. What we, you know, I started it back in October mm-hmm. of last year. I, I won a lawsuit against the Secretary of State yes, you did. Before, the, before the general election even happened. Uh, the, the Secretary of State was trying to say that poll challengers had to maintain six feet of social distancing. <laughs> and I was like, well, you can't read a poll book or, or see a computer screen from six feet away. So I filed that lawsuit and, and I won. But as you guys can probably imagine, on election day, election officials largely didn't follow it anyway. And they were trying to tell people they had to stay six feet back when poll challenging. That created a lot of the tension that uh, led to at TCF Center where, uh, where people were being kicked out yep. when, they were, when they were counting the ballots there. They're getting kicked out and they boarded up the windows uh, because there was tension because they were saying, no, we can be within six feet. And election officials just dismissed it. 
and kicked him out. So uh, this, this is a serious issue. Uh, you know, this idea that, you know, some of some people in Lansing and Washington like to perpetuate that it's time to move forward. Well, you know, I, I encourage people to remember that we're supposed to learn from our history. And if we're going to dig our heads into the sand and not learn from the history and see what worked and what didn't work from the last election, that's a huge problem. We've passed dozens of election integrity bills here in Michigan. And it's like, okay, well, that's great that we're working on election integrity bills. But to me, it doesn't jive with the fact that we haven't brought forward a forensic audit. You know, I, I'm calling for a full forensic audit here in Michigan, sponsored a bill uh, months ago, continuing to push for that. I think we need to do it. And I'll continue to fight for that in Washington as well. Yeah, that's really awesome and, and definitely one of the things that uh, we'd all like to see happen, both yeah. with, with the continuation of new election integrity bills passed and actually honored during the election in, in concordance with uh, seeing some kind of a forensic audit. I mean, there was Antrim County over there had some huge, huge discrepancies, and uh, we covered that extensively on the show. And uh, is definitely something we want to see expanded to, to a wider scale in, in the state of Michigan. Last thing I want to talk to you about, We've kind of already touched on it um, with the budget stuff and and the raising of the debt ceiling, which may in turn lead to something our country hasn't experienced since the 70s, which would be a blue Christmas. Um, There there are a lot of federal employees who may be experiencing a blue Thanksgiving, uh, not for reasons related to the economy. Uh, As you know, the the administration has put out some uh, mandates in regards to the vaccine and stuff like that, which is going to really... uh, probably lead to a lot of people losing their jobs in the federal government, including in the law enforcement sector, especially down on the southwest border. That should approve safety and the conditions, right? Yeah, where we reportedly had anywhere between 60 and 80,000 migrants on the way in the next four months. Um, the numbers for either one of those things don't really add up. Um, you've seen several of the lawmakers start to push back on it, but the clock is ticking. Um, you're not going to be in D.C. beforehand, but just in general, what are your feelings on both the vaccine mandate at the federal level for people in law enforcement, let's just say they've been working on the front line since the start of the pandemic, basically like the hero defired uh, philosophy and uh, moving forward, what are you going to do to try and change stuff like that in, in regards to medical freedoms when you get there? Well, it's been a, a very disgusting and repulsive to the idea of freedom process that we've seen, you know, from taxpayers being forced to fund the vaccine rollout to the doctor-patient relationship being destroyed, uh, the co- coercion, manipulation, and mandates, the government intrusion on what you decide to do. Uh, your privacy rights and your bodily autonomy are your discretion. And government manipulation in this process has been abundantly offensive. I blame government for a lot of the deaths from COVID-19 because they didn't allow the doctor-patient relationship to run its course. Mm -hmm. If doctors were able to work without fear of losing their license and working with their patients to uh, identify and, and strategize what's best for them moving forward, we could have saved a lot of lives. If government, instead of mandating, manipulating, and coercing people, spent their time and energy promoting the general welfare and maybe encouraging people, recommending that they get a proper amount of sleep, you know, get their exercise, take their vitamins. Uh, that would have been a far more rational process for government to undertake than, than what we've seen here. Yeah. We're, we're, we're kind of uh, waiting interestingly to see if there's going to be a federal judge who's going to step up and put an injunction on this before. I, I think some of the like, you know, border patrol and stuff, they have like a November, right before Thanksgiving deadline to either, you know, be fully vaccinated or 
run the risk of losing their jobs. And in just such a time of crisis, both with the sovereignty of our borders and the amount, um, you know, which includes the workload for those guys down there the last almost 10 months now, it, it just doesn't add up. So we, we hope that somebody's going to come in at the last minute and, and save some of our real patriots down there who are help trying to keep the borders as secure as they can at the moment. Right. It's needed from border security to nurses, yeah. you know, nurses who want to make the decision of what's best for themselves. Uh, when, with, with the issue with all the unemployment and wanting people to get back to work, this is just pushing people away from working with these mandates, controls, and manipulation. It's it needs to stop. It needs yeah. to stop. Well, and even knocking people even further, like where you can't even get unemployment benefits if you're in some if states, you're, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. Just authoritarian oh, yeah. nonsense. Wow. Yes, absolutely. I've heard stories of uh, business owners. I haven't checked to see if this is true, so I shouldn't be speaking about it. But I, somebody told me that out in Hawaii, there's a, the restaurants, they get paid so much to have a vaccine mandate that if they don't even have customers, it's still financially beneficial for them to have the vaccine mandate at their business because of all the, the money that they get uh, for having the the mandate, they don't even have to serve customers and it's a profitable experience for them. You know, just stories like this that I'm hearing from around America are just, are just destructive. They're just destructive. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing to see how fast, you know, we've been derailed in, in regards to all the things, the strong economy, strong jobs, energy independence, uh, for the most part, secure borders, getting secure, or, um, stuff with trade, keeping China in check. I mean, you kind of name it in the last nine months, and it's pretty much been erased. And and I hope that, that you know, it, it. the only good thing out of this is the huge wave of America First Agenda candidates that have come out of it. Obviously, yourself, you sound like someone who, if I lived there, I would definitely 100% support. I mean, our show is going to obviously endorse you moving forward. We've been tracking you for a little while, but we have, like, Teddy Daniels, Anthony Sabatini, Joe Kent, all these people who have Bobby Python that have come on our show and, you know, it, it, you could interchange the tone of the voice, but you guys are kind of all running on the same things. And these are the real on the pulse concerns and uh, things that need to be addressed in this country right now for not just conservatives. I think a lot of these things right now, you're seeing the, the numbers amongst independents so low is that they sometimes are so passive within, you know, just regular politics. They're seeing that these extreme measures by the regime right now in D.C. is really affecting their everyday lives, whether it's gas prices, inflation, shortages of supplies, and just jobs. So it's it's one of those things where it, it, I think the best that could have came out of this disaster that we're kind of all living through right now is having candidates like yourself and the ones just previously mentioned getting in there and, and really strongly running right now with, with seeming to pick up a lot of steam. Well, and pe also people seeing that their country's headed in a direction that they don't like. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's uh, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. That uh, this is uh, we, we need to make this a rock bottom for our country. And we have the opportunity to do that through the Republican party with the America first uh, true proven conservative fighters who are uh, who are rising and the 
the fact that the establishment of the Republican Party, I mean, if you look here in my district, the uh, the county Republican parties who would be largely, you know, the what I would consider to be more the establishment end of the Republican Party, they are not showing love to Fred Upton. No, uh, it, the establishment is turning on the establishment. Uh, we just need to, as a grassroots, unite, because at the same time as the establishment is turning on the establishment, we have the grassroots infighting. You know, the Tea Party was largely united against the establishment, but it just wasn't as big and, and strong as the grassroots of today are. If we unite as grassroots, we can we can save our country, but we have to do it. Yeah, we definitely do. And and the time is running short. I, I, I think 2022 is going to be a pretty awesome uh, moment for conservative politics in America. In addition to all you guys getting in there, there's also some great governors, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Carrie Lake. Um, you know, I think Georgia's going to wind up fixing itself. They kind of got a little stuff at the top right now, a little confusion there, but I think they're going to wind up straightening out a lot of their elected officials there. And then moving forward, really look to uh, take back the House and the Senate and then, you know, put the brakes on this administration so we can get things fixed and rolling again. Uh, listen, Steve, before we cut with you today, and obviously we're going to want you to come back at some times, we'll continue to coordinate with Justin. He's awesome at, at sending you guys our way, and, and we're just more and more impressed with every single person he sends to our show. We want to be able to direct traffic your way. we got patriots in Michigan that listen, even nationally, if they're able to help out with donations, maybe your social media and campaign websites. Yeah. So caraforcongress.com is my website. That's C-A-R-R-A. F O R congress.com and Facebook is Steve Cara. Yeah. We're going to live link your, uh, your, um, website on our show description and then your social medias with live links. So when people go to click on our show, they could just click on your information and, and they'll be there to follow you and hopefully help out your campaign moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate everyone's support. And it's going to be the American people who save this country, not the status quo. And it's an honor to be at the, the center of the movement. Yeah, we really appreciate you. Thanks for taking time with us on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. And we'll look forward to having you back in the near future. Sounds good. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Joining us on the Friday edition today to do the news, one of our favorite influencers online, extremely based, extremely large patriot. You know him, and now you're going to hear him, Mr. Cagbro88. Welcome to Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. It's good to be on here. So and anytime. Yeah, we're really First excited time. to get you in here, and uh, you know, get get your opinion on some of the stuff going on. We see you online so much, but it's probably better for the audience to actually hear your voice weigh in on some of these things. Oh, absolutely, love to uh, love to talk it through and uh, go over couple of things and maybe who knows we might have some uh breaking news here as well while we're on well hopefully we'll you hopefully you've brought us a treat <laughs> nice uh yeah, we'll see yeah so how are things going on in your neck of the woods where in the country are you and uh how are things over there we're in florida okay. so we uh, southwest florida is where i'm at now we moved from utah area kind of wanted to get away from the west coast and go over to uh the east coast and so Things are well here. We uh, we've been here for what three months now, two months. Absolutely love it. Uh, nice. A lot of a uh, lot of freedoms here that uh, similar are similar to Utah. You know, kind of allowing you to do your own thing, really. And there's 
in quite honesty, there's quite a bit of quite a bit of work to be done as well. So it's not uh, opposition and everything, right? Yeah, so. that's, that's definitely the truth. And one thing we def- always hear about Florida is that things are good, but they're not as necessarily advertised from someone who doesn't live there or hasn't been there. You know, people see the rhetoric that comes from the administration in regards to against the science, doing whatever they want, never close down. And then you'll, you'll have people, we, we've had several guests from the, you know, the state of Florida come on the show and they said, well, you know, some places just do mass. Some places just close businesses and some places do this. It's not as widespread as it is. And let's say California or New York, Chicago, but you know, there are still pockets of resistance in Florida and, and definitely some work that needs to be done in regards to that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I would even second that or what everyone else has been saying. It's very much uh, still free. You're still free to do a lot of things. It's not as it's advertised, though. There's yeah, I've chosen to kind of work a little more locally here in in our county as well with like school boards and, and things like that, as well as sharing the news and stuff. And quite honestly, it's shocking to see how bad it really is when you go to the local level. Yeah. So, yeah. And we're going to, we're going to touch on that a couple different times. Yeah. And we, and we really appreciate you at the same time for getting out there and doing some of that footwork for, uh, you know, the movement right now. I think that's equally as important as being an influencer as, as keeping the news cycle going is going into the school board, city councils and, uh, you know, really kind of getting into those things, trying to blow them up and getting the, you know, right kind of people in there that aren't going to be pushing crap on our communities and especially our children. Absolutely. I, I got a little boy and it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it hits home. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah. So we're, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot more passion comes with it when you got a stake in the game. I have two small children myself, Antoinette's a mother. Um, Noah? Got a dog. Do you, you're still concerned. <laughs> yeah, to listen, though. yeah. So there you go. At least they can't catch the cat COVID, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, let's jump into the news. So uh, President Trump, day and a half ago, jumped on with Real America's Voice and, and John Solomon on his show there to kind of talk about, uh, about a myriad of things. Um, first thing he wanted to weigh in on, though, and, and, and what John brought up first was this issue of school boards and critical race theory. The narrative coming from the administration now is, is that we're going to basically, we, we see that um, patriots are starting to come up, city councils, school boards, they're voting to, or I'm sorry, they're um, applying to be poll watchers and, you know, really getting involved in campaign. So what better way to stop that is to weaponize the DOJ via the FBI and have them go and infiltrate, let's just say school board meetings and parents who they deemed a threat maybe to the school board as a citizen will now basically undergo the full, probably January 6th treatment. I wonder how long it's going to take for there just to be a list of people who aren't domestic terrorists. <laughs> it's going to be very small. Yes. So, and, and, and just, just to show the severity and the one-sidedness of all this, I'll give you guys a little perspective. I know Cagbro is probably in the know on this because he's a new cycle guy. So you had the witch couple dozen boomers and a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Did she get arrested? Enter the Capitol and be charged as domestic terrorists on January 6th. Two days ago, 
you had a 18 year old African-American student lose a fight in the classroom, brandish a firearm, shoot two of his classmates, his pregnant teacher actually shot them, shot two of his classmates, a pregnant teacher. She's in critical condition. No, she's not. But the high school administrator who responded and then tried to run away was shot in the back, had his ribs shattered, and both his lungs collapsed, is in critical condition. Oh, wow. So, And then he ran from the scene, was eventually detained, and and held in custody for 13 hours before being allowed bond out. 13 hours. 13 hours. How long have the insurrectionists been locked up? Well, apparently since January 6th. I'm just saying. Or shortly thereafter. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the double standard and the stuff, I mean, does it matter that, you know, the the January 6thers were a whole bunch of 40 and 50-year-old white boomers and that this 18-year-old, we'll call him a lad, what, was a person of color? Who knows? But just the, I mean, literally tried to murder four people in a high school as a student how do you, two days ago is How do you free. get released on bail for that? Penny, That's not a thing. Let alone the the bail. If I remember the report when I saw that, it was three fifty seventy five thousand yeah. dollar bail, seventy five grand, which is nothing. And he turned himself in with his lawyer. Yeah, yeah, you know. And the, the whole reason why they said the excuse is, oh, poor poor kid. You know, he was getting bullied because he he's wealthy and has nice things. I'm like, are you fucking kidding? What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Makes no sense. Though. I don't know what some of these lawyers who are representing these January Sixers are doing, but there, there's been so many comparable. Uh, well, there's probably a lot of public defenders involved. Yeah, and and hypocritical things have gone on that you know. At some point, you would have to think some of these defense funds are going to have to put up for one of the major guns to go in there and just be like, all right, this is absolutely fucking ridiculous. You know, you can hold them in there as long as you want, but you're going to lose civil suit after civil suit once they're finally. Yeah, released. it's absolutely ridiculous. All right. Right. So, I just don't get why why this kid would shoot his teacher and the that school administrator. Like, why if he only had beef with this one kid, why wouldn't he just shoot him? That's an extremely good point. Maybe he's a really bad shot. Did they even say how he got the gun and how he got it in there? But or he must have had it already. Obviously. Well, if this if this fit with the media and general narrative that they like to do, they would be speaking about all of those details. Right. Well, uh, I mean, isn't the age of, uh, can you have a gun at 18? I think, in, I think you can in Texas, you can have a gun or it can be transferred to you if you're 18, something like that. Well, that's neither here nor there. I mean, we, well, legally you can have one is what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but can you bring it into the classroom? That's, that's no. what the Can is. you shoot teachers with it? Probably did, not. Probably not. And did, did, well, I heard apparently they have metal detectors in that school. And if that's the case, I mean, they did not work. They definitely failed. Maybe uh, maybe the guards that were guarding Epstein got new jobs there. And, and completely non-related <laughs> news. <laughs> 29 people were murdered in Chicago yesterday. Oops. Nobody cares. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. So that, that that's just kind of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to Trump on, on John Solomon is kind of a pregame warm-up for the Iowa rally that's coming this weekend, which we will have a full breakdown of on our Tuesday edition of the show next week. Um, like I said, they did touch on, on, on critical race theory and it, and it's definitely something that, you know, an issue that keeps coming back. Now it's obviously getting a little bit more prevalent and in society, which was the theme of last week's show. We definitely mm. live in one, um, we do? according to the Joker, mm. uh, let's hear what he had to say on that. 
the United States, Donald Trump. Mr. President, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. It is an honor to have you on. And I want to start with something because just before your administration left office, you tried to do something to combat this critical race theory that was going through the schools. You delivered with the 1776 curriculum, and that touched off a movement in America, parents confronting school boards about what their kids were learning. Last night, the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, announced that he's asked the FBI to investigate parents who are questioning their school boards. What's your reaction to that decision? And what does it mean about free speech in America more largely? Well, it's very tough because the parents are very uh, wounded by what's taken place by, in many cases, radical left school boards. And oh. you would certainly think they have a, a voice and they have a voice as to how their children are going to be educated, brought up and educated. And that's a very tough stance. There's no question about it. I heard that late last night, and I was somewhat surprised by it, but nothing surprises me too much anymore. <laughs> I ended that whole situation, as you know. I ended it and ended it strongly. You did. And as soon as the uh, radical left got in, they reinstituted it. And the parents, I guess what I did, maybe almost more importantly than ending it, is I alerted the country as to what's going on with their schools and with the school board and with the military, by the way, where you have the same thing happening in the military. We fired all of those people that were doing it, but now they've been hired again and they get a lot of money. They get a lot of money, more money than most people make in government, more money than the president of the United States got paid, which I got nothing, of course, because I didn't take. Right. I didn't take the money. No. Nobody talks about that. But more money than the president of the United States, these people are making. And uh, they're all over the place. It's a very dangerous situation for the country, in my opinion. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where it started. Uh, hey, John Solomon kind of sounds like Mike Pompeo, I'm just saying. Yeah. They, they kind of have almost the exact same voice tone. Uh, Cagro, you don't seem to come off as uh, someone who would be too much of a fan of critical race theory. Um, you had mentioned in our introduction that you've been doing some work, especially in like the, the school board aspect of things, uh, in your community locally. Um, how do you feel about this stuff? I mean, in addition to critical race theory, there's been that whole explosion of like the completely reworked and extremely explicit sexual education, uh, you know, um, curriculum that's been dumped on kids too, which we've seen in some of these board meetings that we're all sharing, you know, parents will put up extremely explicit stuff uh, of, of that they're giving to kids that, that are be showing, you know, they're being given to as early as like elementary school. This stuff is a, as not only just like an influencer or someone that helps carry the news cycle, but as a parent has to be just absolutely enraging. Oh, absolutely. I would, I would definitely agree. I'm never going to support anything like that. And I was actually shocked uh, when, when it was coming out, you know, with the whole sexual education and, even with the critical race theory stuff, you see all these parents outraged in school boards. And that's actually kind of what got me to even look at, well, hey, is my county doing it? And so I was able to find, and I'd even encourage anyone listening here to go onto your school board, county, your county school board website and find out how to file a public, public records request. Because that I've essentially just a couple of days ago filed one for all of the sexual education material that our county here is doing what they're using are they using specific books that are again showing or depicting those explicit uh images and and all that kind of stuff i highly recommend learning how to do it because I, I mean i'm not a professional in doing it i figured out how to do it maybe five or six weeks ago with mask mandates right and so you know it's just 
it's very important to be able to know how to do it. So then when you go to school board meetings and you can do what these other parents and teachers are doing, but I would definitely recommend everybody. It doesn't matter what County you're in, look on the website, go to the board of education in your state and see, figure out how to get it, you know, how to file one and have to do it. It will cost money and maybe, you know, gather people together. However you want to fund it, it doesn't matter, but, this stuff needs to be talked about. It needs to be exposed. I went to even just try to look on my school, my son's school website and even in the district. And I cannot even find any of the material that they're teaching my son. Yep. And mind you, my son's five years old and it's flooring that I can't as a parent, you know, have that kind of access. Um, to what's being presented to, to my children, to my son. So to answer the question, I'm, I'm obviously wholeheartedly against it and we'll talk and have just now begun, you know, talking about it locally here. Cause that's where I am right? and helping other people figure out how to do it so that they can be informed and get involved. Because at the end of the day, just a kind of a little off offshoot here doesn't matter how awake you are to these things. If you're not doing anything, you're still complicit. That's just my opinion. It's now's the time to act and get involved. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you can be one of the most biggest bringers of knowledge out there in regards to, you know, the great awakening movement and all the things that go along with it, or, you know, whether you're a MAGA Patriot and you, you know everything about every candidate that's run in, but if you're not physically doing anything at this point, I mean, you you have to kind of see the entire administration right now. The walls are crumbling in around them, and and they're extremely susceptible, even though they're making desperate moves. And that's why it seems like a lot of the things that are happening now, like weaponizing the DOJ and the January 6th people and the open borders and the debacle in Afghanistan, the economy, you know, those are all things that these are desperation moves by them to try and quick fix. We've been extremely lucky for the last nine months that literally nothing that they've tried to do has worked. I mean, I, th- I definitely think that's something that's that's key to this whole point we're at in time. But, you know, it, the, the movement of the people and actually starting to do stuff, school board meetings, city councils, running for public office, supporting campaigns, voter registration, those things go hand in hand with being just as important as, uh, you know, everything else that we talk about on shows like this or, or, or that we get out into the news cycle every day. Right. Yeah. So, you know, moving on from there. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about on the show recently was that uh, the only thing that this administration is missing right now for the complete dumpster fire is an international incident. Oh, right. So, I mean, the Afghanistan thing was kind of self-induced and, and, and more of like, a, you know, transitioning back to domestic from there internationally. But, I, I mean, a real big international incident. And it seems like one of the flashpoints in the world right now is the whole thing with with China and Taiwan. Uh, China is definitely flexing in, in that area of the world. They're sending more and more planes over Taiwan every day. Their generals have been talking to, you know, the heads of the CCP for months now saying that they're susceptible. The outside influence from other nations in the, in the area aren't strong enough to really stop anything if it were to happen. And, you know, it, it looks like that would be the, the, the crowning point on the pile of shit that is this administration right now. Yeah. A nice big failed international incident, which would 
you know, and in the occupation of Taiwan. Uh, Donald Trump kind of moved it on to there. You know, he was extremely tough on China, and Taiwan was never really at too much of an issue because they knew the big stick that he carried quietly during his administration. So they started to touch on that, and let's, let's hear what he had to kind of say in regards to that narrative. No doubt. China's been buzzing Taiwan last few days with warplanes, lots of them. Nerves are on edge in the Pacific. Joe Biden's starting to talk like Donald Trump on China all of a sudden. But I want to ask you this. How would you, no, if you're not. president again, how would you deal with this threat of China right now? It's, it's an intimidation campaign against our longtime ally, Taiwan. Well, I think I dealt with them very well. I took in billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars from China. Right. Nobody else took in 10 cents ever. Not one president ever did anything. In fact, I hear that Biden may leave my big taxes and I tax China and tariff China. And nobody ever thought that was possible. And we took in just billions. I gave $28 billion of that money to the farmers over a two-year period. They got 12 and they got 16 billion. And the farmers, it saved the farmers because they boycotted the farms. You remember right. that? So I do. I ended up, the farmers did very well. And now billion. the farmers are really doing well. I'll be in Iowa next week doing a big rally, which will be fantastic, I think, Saturday night. So it's going to be something very special. But the farmers are great, but they were taken advantage of by China. And I was tough on China. I also got along great with President Xi until the China virus came in. Once the China virus uh, reared its ugly head, I was uh, a different kind of a guy. But I had a great relationship with him, as I did with most of the leaders, even though I treated them tougher because they were – Every single country, I'll, I'll tell you this, John, every single country without exception was taking advantage of the United States, from the big ones to the little ones. Deals that were so stupid from our standpoint, right. not even sustainable. But if you look at what was happening with the European Union, I mean, they were almost as bad as China. And yep. by the way, we lost with them $150 billion mm. a year. 150 billion a year. Now China was 502 billion dollars a year. Yeah. But the European Union, they didn't sell our cars. They basically don't buy our farm product. They bought very little from us. We had a deficit of 150, 100 and actually between it varied between 150 and 190 billion dollars, you know. Sounds innocent the European Union. Yep. But they were very good at clipping the United States also and if you look at South Korea, I made a new trade deal with them. It was horrible before. That was done by Hillary Clinton. Right. And if you look at Japan, I made a different trade deal with them. But, you know, Japan, as an example, they sold cars into the United States, but we couldn't sell any into them. I said, that doesn't sound too fair to me. And uh, we did a lot of things. And then we got hit with COVID. And uh, we had to go back into a different mode, obviously. But I was tough on other countries. And yet I got along with the leaders. Which is definitely yeah, no something doubt. that uh, I think makes the most sense at the end of the day. The leaders from these other countries may not have necessarily liked the fact of America was kind of building back, not better, smarter in all these trade deals and stuff, international treaties and, and things like that. You know, it, it got to the point to where... If, when, when Donald Trump took office, if America's name was on it, going in and out of this country or in regards to international pacts, and st- all we were doing was paying money. Mm-hmm. That's it. We, we were our, our membership meant we were giving other people money. 
And, you know, a lot of that contributed to all of the huge deficits you see in, in, you know, the debt now and how bad the economy was doing back in 2015 and is kind of cycling back to now. However, um, you know, those leaders respected where Donald Trump was coming from. Um, Cagro, I'm sure you could kind of elaborate a little bit more and then and, and then see if you agree on that narrative as well. Well, I'll be straight up. I, I haven't really followed much of that specifically. Well, I mean, some of the things that were pointed out during during the course of the administration that I think were uh, were pivotal was like the tariffs on stuff coming into the country. So we weren't like literally paying for it to be produced in China and then uh, paying China to ship it here. Uh, another one of the things that, that really hit big over the course of the Trump administration was if you weren't going to move your business back to the United States. Um, you were going to be taxed right. heavily right. to make American-made products and have them shipped into the uh, country. In addition to, you know, like the Paris Climate Accords, the um, trans- USMCA part was part of that, right, if I yeah, remember right? it certainly was. And then you had things like the Trans-Pacific Trade Deal, whatever, where we were basically just paying. And then the NATO stuff where the United States was paying for 85% of the budget for 109 countries to be a part of it. It was just absolutely ridiculous. We paid for the blue helmets. Yeah, we sure did. He didn't happen to get out of the. He didn't happen because I know that they were talking. And th- thanks for reminding me because I, I try to keep up with so many things. But right. I, with the World Trade Organization, I don't know if he actually got out. He did. We we, we were we were joined that and the Paris Accords uh, within yeah. the first week or two of the Biden administration. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we went right back to paying everybody money just to be a part of their, you know, yeah. exclusive club of globalists. Yeah. At our expense. Yes. Getting nothing out of it. I know exactly. Antoinette loves those international trade deals, right? Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> um, Cheat me harder. There you go. They, they segued <laughs> on to one, to one of our favorite topics when, when it comes to Donald Trump, him talking about the 2020 presidential election. Nice. Uh, they obviously covered that, and it's something that's, you know, bigly on the agenda as well for, for the America First movement. Uh, let's hear what they had to say when they started talking about that. I won't go over it now with you, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I I do want to mention some of those because the tide is really changing, much like Russia collusion, right? It was Russia collusion. Then there was no Russia collusion on election. 200,000 ballots are now questioned by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. 50,000 flagged in the Arizona audit. 40,000 in DeKalb County. That was something we did last week. Now under investigation, 29 pages of problems in Fulton County. And now the secretary of state wants to take over Fulton County before he said it was a perfect election. How much are you surprised by the change? And then also, what are the next steps for you? What can you do to keep pressing this case? Well, we are pressing it and we're going to continue to press it. And a lot of very good people say, sir, we should think to the future. Think to the future. I said, well, you're not going to have a future if you don't solve the past. And we don't want the same thing to happen in 22 and 24. But, you know, they say think to the future. Some some bad ones say that, but some very good people, people that you like, I like, right. they really feel that way. Think to the future. But what are we going to think? We won that election by a lot. You know, those numbers that you talked about in those various states, those are all, they call it determinative. Right. They are determinative numbers. In other words, they would have changed the outcome of all of those states. And I only needed, I guess, two big ones or three small ones. And uh, But all of those states would have changed. Uh, the vote totals would have changed. Uh, think about this. Uh, we have more votes in cases. We have more votes than you have voters. 
that should have been looked at before the numbers were sent up to the Senate to be approved. Or Mitch McConnell should have said, well, why is it that all these things took place? And that was then. Since then, as you know better than anybody, we've learned a lot more. And the Arizona audit, which yeah. the press just was fraudulent the way they covered it. They sure were. The Arizona, under findings, they had so many findings of bad things. No, it's a very sad thing. It's the, I call it the crime of the century. And, you know, somebody said, well, is it the crime when there's no death? I said, of course there's death. Look at the southern border. There's death all over. Look at what happened in Afghanistan. All these things wouldn't have happened. We had the strongest border in history. Now we have the worst border in history. We might have the worst border of any country ever. Yeah. So, you know, Donald Trump brought up something that we uh, talk about on the show every week. It's one of the two polls that we we have showly. And uh, we get to bring Cagbro in for this one. Uh, it's what you, what are your pronouns when you identify in regards to describing the 2020 presidential elections? Was it rigged and stolen? Was it the crime of the century? Or is it a case of unreturned diamonds? I'm going to say all the above. <laughs> nice. That, that might be a first one, right? That's the first time we got all the above. Yeah, kind of. And it definitely is I mean, a case I, of all of those. I guess he did mention the election was rigged and stolen. It was a disgraceful election. Perfect. Uh, yeah, and, and one of those things, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of stuff. You know, I was, I was talking with somebody on social media with this about uh, the other day. Apparently there was some, she's an influencer. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. She kind of blindsided Wendy Rogers recently outside an event in Arizona. Oh, Samira. Yeah. She, yeah, she's, yeah. Is she one of your buddies from back in the day? No, no, but I know her. We're in a group chat together on Telegram. She's, okay, because yeah, I know she's also a walk away from Hollywood person like yourself. Yeah. Um, so apparently Wendy Rogers was, was walking to an event the other day and she got her on Instagram live and said like, hey, why are you, why are you not doing anything in regards to election integrity? And it kind of took Wendy Rogers off guard and they got into it back and forth. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, by the end of it, she was saying, like, going around the country and getting other people to work on election integrity doesn't do anything for the people of Arizona. You're elected to do stuff here. You're, you know, a, a state person. You're not uh, uh, someone that works over in D.C. as a congressman or a, a House representative. And, and, and she was basically kind of calling her out on it. I didn't like the way that she went on it. She made some extremely good points that are extremely important. And, and we've talked about the election in regards, especially to the Maricopa audit. Mm. Decertifying a state has happened maybe four times in the history of the United States. Okay. Uh, three times were in the 1800s. One may or may not be one if you count whatever happened in Florida in 2000 with Bush v. Gore. Uh, besides that, it's never happened. It's not something like it's just going to go to a state Senate for a vote and then all of a sudden the Electoral College is going to be decertified via the state of Arizona. It's not that easy. It's going to be held up in court and this, that, and the other thing. In addition, I think the state's closest to going into audit mode right now, you guys could agree or disagree with me, is Pennsylvania, Georgia, for sure, and then Wisconsin's kind of an outlier. Michigan's looking less and less every day, uh, even though, you know, they've got Matthew DePerno over there, they've got Rance Previs over there doing a lot of work. It's just not moving, even though we've had the Antrim County case, as, as fast as you'd like to see it. You need three stir. Uh, three states to legitimately decertify and go through all of their appeals and all of the court stuff before you could even consider looking into a constitutional crisis regarding the 2020 presidential election. Yeah. In like 20 days, we're exactly one year from the midterms. 
it's starting to look like at the end of the day, the decertification and stuff is not going to be a factor before the midterm elections or have any real relevance moving into the 2024 presidential election. So even though she made some valid points, I kind of crapped on her in the comments and said, you have one of the only people in the country who's literally putting it all out there on her reputation, even though she's only been in publicly elected office for like eight months and traveling around the country, trying to get all these other state reps, attorney general, secretary of states to get on board for election integrity. And and you try to shit on her. And she wrote like a comment back. She didn't want to argue with me. So she made it as nice as possible. Like, oh yeah, I see your point. Like, you know, but you know, the people of Arizona are concerned about Arizona. We get that. I understand her frustration. I just don't agree with the way she went after Wendy at all. Yeah, don't try to make her look like an idiot. I mean, Wendy Rogers has done a lot of stuff. And she, you know, I know that Wendy, you could tell she could feel for her and like her frustration. And she was trying, she couldn't even talk really. She wasn't letting her speak. And I feel like Samita could have done a better job in approaching her and and her approach. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And and, and it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you have to take into account at some point the writing is going to be on the wall of where we are at legally because like we've talked about on the show on more than one occasion, Georgia, Pennsylvania, they're already pushed to not getting into anything regarding a physical audit until 2022. That's just at the end of the day, those are the, those are the dates you have to look into those audits. If they're even going to happen, not starting until 2022 because they sent really good, powerful, a thousand dollar an hour defense, uh, you know, criminal lawyers down there to kind of say, oh, yeah, if these like little voter integrity groups in these stupid ass states want to do elections or these state reps who, you know, go out and say they love Donald Trump but don't really know how to do their actual job in the state Senate want to push for uh, audits. And we know how to like fill that shit up with paperwork for months, if not years. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're seeing with uh, Shapiro up in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pennsylvania and then uh, Perkins Coy over down in uh, Georgia fighting back against uh, Garland Favorito. Both of the judges in the cases are extremely frustrated because they know that the uh, the libs and the Democrats are, are sending these guys down there only to slow down the process and has nothing to do with it getting dismissed. Yeah. But at the same time, they have to go through the actual legal process of it and the fact of the matter. So, Kagro, what do you think about the, the election integrity stuff? I mean, obviously, we've gotten to a disposition on Maricopa, and we're going to talk about that because it made it to Capitol Hill this week. Uh, but just in regards to the to the overall 2020 election, I mean, you said you identify as all pronouns. Uh, what what do you think uh, moving forward? Do you see happening in regards to some of these things? It's like I think kind of like what you said. I mean, a lot of this stuff does take time, and I get blown up. I can't even tell you how many times in my comments on Instagram and Twitter of just people, you know complaining and yeah but the problem is is that these things have to take time like you if you look at like i followed specifically a lot of the election uh fraud going on i mean i don't know how you can look at any of these reports and say nothing's wrong right Uh, i mean i've tweeted a couple of things that kind of just explain some of my points of view there's two arguments like when when this was first being fresh uh, I can't remember when, but it was when Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. I I think she was there. Janet Ellis. Uh, I'm more. Refer- I think it's the one in Georgia where they had John. Oh, I can't remember his last name. He's a constitutional attorney. Okay. And I remember watching that uh, hearing in front of the. I want to say it was the legislators. Yeah, the Georgia State Legislator. 
the Georgia state legislator. And this guy was just phenomenal. And there's really two cases you have to consider when you're looking at the integrity of the election. And that's in general, what he was emphasizing is there's the case for fraud, you know, intentional deceit and hiding, covering up all that kind of stuff. But there's a second argument that I don't, in my opinion, doesn't get talked about much. I've tried to talk about it several times, but that's just the simple breach or breaking of state specific law. Yes. And I kind of, I made a thread about it just to kind of help people understand that there's two cases here. It's not just fraud or nothing or broken law or nothing. And it's just as simple as did the ballots that were cast meet every single state law, not mandate, not government agreement or government. I can't remember what state did that whole. No, uh, that was Georgia. That was with Stacey's law and stuff like that. The whole governor agreement or whatever. And so you have to look at it's it's obvious in my opinion that both cases we have the case for both fraud existed you just we just heard in maricopa um in the hearing i think it was yesterday that you have oh what's his name bill gates yep admitting that they deleted files yeah. and his excuse you have to be careful with how I'm I'm very particular when it comes to the way people use words, right? I'm a nut about it. So, but when you listen to him, and I I don't know if that's going to be playing later or not, but when you listen to him, his excuse is we complied with the subpoena as if that's going to get away from the fact that he admitted to deleting files off of the servers before turning them over. Right. Complying with the, with the legal request since it didn't name not deleting servers. Yeah. Like a little loophole in like wording. Yeah, exactly. So, and, but my point is, is that, you know, you have to look at going back is the, so you have that case with does every ballot that was cast or vote, however it was cast, it doesn't matter. Did it follow every single state law right it has to follow every single one not just one or right. two or three or four it has every single one and that gets and if into- it doesn't it's illegal it does not it should not count right and yeah you're talking That's- about things all the way through like chain of custody and stuff like that right every single thing yeah it has to meet every single requirement and so that i think out of the report that came out from cyber ninjas was just blatantly obvious yeah. I mean, if one have... is broken, it's done. It's illegal. Exactly. And so hopefully that kind of answers some of the questions, but I think that it, it, at this point, it's hard for me to wrap my head around people who still refuse to think that either fraud existed or that state law was broken Yeah. with all of the reports. And I've followed uh, Matt DiPerno and yep. Garland Favorito and all these people that have produced reports just showing the blatant breach of state law and and stuff like that. So it's, I don't know. To me, it's obvious, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sure Unviable. is. It's, and it's definitely one of those things where, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of moving parts and still moving forward. And, and if you just want to stay on Georgia for like a second, we saw so many things like the stopping of the vote counting. Who authorized that? And, and where yeah. did where did that request originally come from? It wasn't. We all have come to the determination that it was not for a water main break because it wasn't. 
Uh, but we, no. yeah. But we yeah. never we never found out where those orders came from and who literally ordered the people home. Then why did some people stay and why did they pull out Pelican boxes from underneath tables and run votes through the machines multiple times? That's just one thing. In Georgia, we've seen videos of like voting machines being taken from like a polling place to a place where they're going to be stored in shopping carts. We've seen videos where like voting machines or huge dumps of ballots that were actually counted on November 3rd were put literally into those big mail bins and then packed into people's cars to be driven to where they're going to be stored. And those are just some of the things that we know about. Uh, um, There's, there's going to be so much more. And I I do feel like we're going to get to dispositions, but at the end of the day, and it's not a black pill, it's not a doomer mentality. It's the, it's the legal premise of it. That's, that's where we're at. We, we didn't have enough physical evidence in the beginning. And we've talked about it before. Rudy, Jenna, Sidney Powell, they all went out. You know, uh, uh, Colonel Waldron, they made very good cases for the stuff that we are finding out through the Maricopa audit legitimately happened across the country. They just had ridiculously inflated numbers that no federal judges were going to take because they didn't have real raw data yet. And uh, regardless of where we get to with a disposition of that, it's just going to take some time. So at some point, you know, we have to keep pumping up these America First Agenda people for the House and Senate moving forward 2022 and then hope that there are new voter laws and more dispositions on the election audits before we get to, you know, pass the midterms. Right. right. People just forget that it takes time. Look what happened in Arizona. You just, you just, if I followed Arizona, and it, I know we have to go to like different topics here, mm-hmm. but I, when you follow the process of what happened in, in Maricopa County. One, they subpoenas were issued for information. Yep. Maricopa refused and refused and refused and refused and and just kept fighting it the entire time to the point that Sonny Borelli is that his name? Yeah. Um, submitted a, I think it's a fourteen eighty seven legislative investigation request. He submits that thirty days, however many days long story pass, however many days pass, you have the attorney general stating. In his report, they broke the law by not complying. Yeah, they broke state Arizona law by not complying with those subpoenas, and now you have. I mean, fast forward, you still have all of these things that happened. The audit has been com- somewhat completed. The report was submitted in the Senate hearing, and now it's in investigative hands at the Attorney General's office. And the key point that a lot of people, in my opinion, have missed regarding this is I got so many comments. I kept arguing with one guy on Twitter of um, they didn't prove fraud. They didn't prove fraud. There wasn't enough information. There wasn't any information. If they had it, they would have given it. All all these, in my opinion, quite stupid arguments. You don't understand that throughout the whole time, if I I remember the number right, they had, Cyber Ninjas has two petabytes of video, scanned images, and all sorts of other data. And if you don't know what a petabyte is, that's a, a thousand terabytes, yeah. which is a thousand gigabytes. I mean, I, I could go down and down, but the point is, is you can't talk about two petabytes of data right. over the course of, I think it was three hours that that hearing was yeah. on for the report. I can't remember how long. But, oh, you wouldn't even scratch the surface. Right. But now you have Arizona, the attorney general requesting all of the information that they have, both from Cyber Ninjas and Dr. Shiva, and I can't remember the other guy that uh, that was part of that. Oh, the, Dr. Burns was there too. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there were some really good people working on that, and they had some of the best experts. And like you said, Logan yeah. and, and Shiva kind of explain it in layman's terms, which both of those guys are pretty good at because at the end of the day, Logan's a pretty down-to-earth guy, even though he's a tech-savvy, and then, you know, Dr. Shiva's done. He's He's been in the news cycle running the circuit of, of cable news network shows for so long, and so it, he's, he's really comfortable just kind of laying it out there so everybody can kind of understand it. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're, we're going to touch back on that in a little bit, but before that we have an, a new segment, you know, we like to put little names on our segments and, uh, I think Noah's going to like this one. It's going to be critical race terrorists, Ooh, not critical race theory anymore, because anyone that pushes back against that narrative, um, you know, is a domestic terrorist now. Oh. <sighs> Last week we started to touch on it at the end of the show. We, we, we saw the breaking news on Friday or on Tuesday, and we were able to read uh, not only Merrick Garland's uh, one-page doctrine regarding what the FBI plans on doing through the Department of Justice, but Josh Hawley's, um, you know, response to that, who I, I think, you know, and we'll ask before we jump into it with audio from Hawley, Gagbro, what, what do you think about his uh, political stock? I see it rising ever since, you know, he was v- extremely involved, and we're, we're going to get down to just how involved Joe Doucheborough thought he was on Doucheborough. on January 6th because it's kind of in the same narrative that I've been holding the line for him since then. Uh, what do you think of Josh Hawley? I, I think he's definitely one of our better senators. Uh, he, he's extremely America first. He, he was very loyal to Donald Trump throughout the course of his presidency. He pushed back on very few of his policies, voted with like in the 90th or if not higher percentile with all of his agenda, uh, was against both impeachments and then was for Stop the Steal all the way up through uh, what happened at the Capitol before Mike Pence kind of threw a big wet poop blanket on it. Uh, poop blanket? Yeah. What, what, what do you think of Josh Hawley? You know, I like him. I mean, I um, I think he's – I kind of re- just reiterate kind of a lot of the things you've said. He's just – I have for so, I've noticed there's been a – uh, what do you call it? A space of time where he ha- – ha- at least I haven't – even really heard him speak much up until just recently with this, you know, him going up against this critical race theory. It's, he's been pretty quiet and I'm, you know, I'm curious as to, you know, what's why, you know, I haven't even really seen him even talk out against election fraud or, you know, anything about the Maricopa updates or, or anything like that. So it's just, uh, you know, I, I like him because he he talks straight when he's in the hearings. Mm-hmm. If it's something at least that he yeah. values, you know, he just goes for the jugular. In my opinion, it's just um, so I don't I like him, but you know, I I'm just curious why he's quiet on a lot of topics that I would have imagined he would be talking about. Yeah, it is interesting that you brought that up. I th- I think uh, before the critical race theory thing, he was pretty involved and had some really good talking points in the uh, Millie, Austin, and McKenzie hearing. He kind of blew those assholes up pretty well, yeah. uh, even though it was pretty, like you said, short and to the point. Uh, so following Josh Hawley's questioning of the DOJ memorandum last week, he was able to drag some completely unprepared intern into the halls of Congress this week as kind of a pre-setup for when they actually have Merrick Garland there, which by the end of this audio piece you'll hear is something he requested. But uh, this young lady who was probably some high-level staffer at the GOJ found out quick when you don't have the answers for the questions he's going to ask you, he's going to literally verbally sword you to death. Mm. Let's, <laughs> let, let's hear what he had to say in regards to uh, getting this gal on there today. 
Um, it's something we all should engage um, in. And no, I don't think so, Ms. Monaco. With all due respect, it didn't make it quite clear. It doesn't define those terms, nor does it define harassment or intimidation. It talks about violence. I think we can agree that violence shouldn't be condoned or looked aside from in any way, swept under the rug at all. But harassment and intimidation, what do those terms mean in the context of a local school board meeting? I mean, this seems to in the First Amendment context, we talk about the chill, the chill to speech. If this isn't a deliberate attempt to chill parents from showing up at school board meetings for their elected school boards, I don't know what is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not aware of anything like this in American history. We're talking about the FBI. You're using the FBI to intervene in school board meetings. That's extraordinary. Senator, I have to respectfully disagree. That is not what... Point me to an instance. The, Wrong answer. The oh. Attorney General's memorandum um, made quite clear that um, violence is not appropriate. Spirited public debate on a whole range of issues is absolutely what this country is all about. Um, then why is it being investigated if, by the FBI? If, Hear voice cracking. When and if it's not um, any um, uh, <laughs> situation turns to violence, no. then that is the appropriate role of law enforcement to address it. Um, oh, no, the what, memorandum what, covers more than violence. It talks about intimidation. It talks about harassment. So I'm asking you to draw some lines. We do this all the time in the First Amendment context. This is the, this is the sum and substance of First Amendment law. So I expect that she'll be available and, and willing to do it now. Tell me where the line is with parents expressing their concerns, waiting for hours in the school board meetings. We've all seen the videos. This has happened in my state. Parents have waited for hours. Sometimes the school board meetings have been ended before they can speak because the school board doesn't want to hear it. Mm. And now parents are told that if they wait and they express their views that they, they may be investigated for intimidation? I don't know who's telling them that, Senator. <laughs> the job of the Justice Department is to investigate crimes. When uh, a situation turns to violence, when and if a situation turns to violence, it's the job of the Justice Department and local law enforcement to address that. The Attorney General's memorandum simply uh, asked the U.S. Attorney community, the FBI, uh, and their counterparts to ensure that state and local law enforcement has an open line of communication she won't even uh, look at to report threats, whether they um, happen in the context of election officials being threatened, whether they haven't happened in the context of members of Congress being threatened, which the FBI responds to uh, on a regular basis, as is appropriate. The job of the Justice Department is to address criminal conduct. You know, all I can say is this is truly extraordinary. I think you know it is. It's unprecedented. You can't point to a single instance where anything like this has happened before. And I think parents across this country are going to be stunned to learn, stunned, that if they show up at a local school board meeting, by the way, where they have the right to appear and be heard, where they have the right to say something about their children's education, where they have the right to vote, and you are attempting to intimidate them. You are attempting to silence them. You are attempting to interfere with their rights as parents and yes, with their rights as voters. This is wrong, this is dangerous, and I cannot believe that an Attorney General of the United States is engaging in this kind of conduct. And frankly, I can't believe that you are sitting here today defending it. I intend to get answers to these questions. You won't answer my questions. I'm going to get answers to these questions. Mr. Chairman, we need to have a hearing on this subject. We need to hear from the Attorney General himself. He needs to come here, take the oath, sit there, and answer questions. We have never seen anything like this before. Mm. There, there you have it. I'd be interested to 
know what examples they're citing as needing to do this. I just thought it was yeah. funny when he first started destroying her, she went through like three note cards and then like he cut her off <laughs> mid sentence and then she just put them down and folded her hands. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna eat <laughs> <make> these. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's crazy. Why do they need the FBI if they're worried about okay? I just don't why okay, have police there if you're that afraid, but what just talking to you, telling you I'm I'm pissed, I don't want this for my kid. Well it, they have that, security there. Right, don't they? So it's like the board of sorry to interrupt, but the board when I went to the school board meeting and live streamed the whole thing, mm -hmm. there was about eight or nine fully armed Yeah. I mean police officers on top of maybe even more than that when I was there. And so but even then, like this That's whole idea, excessive. yeah, the whole idea of like, can anyone here, I don't know if any of you can even, I can't cite any school board meeting that actually turned into violence. No, not one like, that I know of. I mean, I, I, I've seen parents angry and like yeah. emotional, but that's okay. That's not illegal. You're pissed exactly. that your kids are seeing like material teaching them how to suck each other's dick it's like uh i would yeah. be pissed too you know, I've been, oh, scissor me timbers i thought after the next audio clip was going to be the perfect place to play it and i've been looking for a way <laughs> to kind of say that sentence for like the last three weeks because i've been talking about it so impassionately because ever since i've seen that i've been absolutely disgusted with yeah, it yeah it's wild thanks antoinette for completely taking the load off my shoulders yeah. and you just saying you're it. welcome I mean, I'm pissed and my, you know, like that's not happening in my kid's school. They're yet. my daughter's in private yet. school, private yet. Catholic school. Yet. Well, no, it's not well, going to no, happen. Gonna ha well, mm. yeah, I mean, I would put it past them, but you know, I see your point. No, and I mean, and the parents are really involved in, in her school, well, that's you know, good. and they, they know they can't, they but, can't fuck around with but, that shit. But you guys are both right. At the end of the day. If, if I go to a school board meeting and I get heated about something and they try to cut me off when it's my time to talk and it's my right to say it. I mean, I, you know, Wonder Woman shared videos yesterday of a, of, of a school board meeting in Pennsylvania where three different sets of parents, because they changed the pronoun of critical race theory to something different, as soon as the parent brought up critical race theory, the panel on the school board said, you know what? It's not called that anymore. If you're not going to say wow. what it is, your time is done. And they're like, what do you mean wow. my time is done? They're like, now you're in violation of the school board constitution. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we said your time is done and now you're causing a disruption. And the guy's like, you want to know what? I'll see you in fucking court. And they went through three different people who pretty much all got cut off the same way and all said, I'm going to sue you too. And I'm going to take your seats. And that's pretty much where we're at. But now if you go to a school board meeting and, and kind of speak up like that, there's a better than average chance you might have an FBI agent or two knocking on your door the next day to ask you why you feel that way. You know what I would have done? I would have brought my wireless karaoke microphone and cut off my mic. Well, you, would definitely have, you would definitely have the FBI horn. at your house. Have a horn, you know, <laughs> we got to start getting... You're going to fucking hear me whether you like it or not. Can we can we start getting AJ to some local Ooh, school board yeah. meetings? <laughs> oh, my God. That would be... But I could definitely see some impassioned parents yes. going a little over the top. But at the same time, I want to see what these examples are that they're citing that they need the FBI to get involved in this right. stuff. Like I haven't I, heard like of or some, seen anything physical. Like yeah. if you're like, why are like why can't a parent be emotional and upset you, about? You know, something? it's going to be everywhere if they do make like an actual physical threat. I do think there's a great group. Well, it'll of be like a father saying, like, you show my son this, I'm going to beat your ass. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. You know, like or but maybe I mean, somebody I think gets. What they totally... don't like is all these videos that are coming out of these parents putting these these officials in their place, oh, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's, and it's 
firing up other parents to do the same thing. And they're just trying to find a way to. It's damage control. Yeah. Yeah. You guys want to know who was fired up? Who? I've already teased it. Joe Doucheboro this morning. After he heard Senator Hawley beat up this uh, DOJ staffer yesterday and (laughs) asked that Merrick Garland is scheduled to testify before a full Senate oversight committee. Uh, Joe Scarborough took to the waves this morning to think, um, or I'm sorry, to speak on just where he thought Josh Hawley belongs. Let's hear what he had to say about that. Frankly, I can't believe Josh Hawley's sitting there because he should be in jail. What? He really should. Why is Josh Hawley not (laughs) in jail? Really? Really? A guy that committed sedition against the United States of America, a guy who churned up the rioters when they were coming up there, a guy who still voted with the seditionists, voted with the rioters, voted with the anarchists, Mm. voted with the people who were smearing excrement all over the walls of the Capitol, a guy who (laughs) voted with the people that were taking American flags. And I understand there are a lot of Trumpists that don't like to hear this. I had some clown call me out a couple of days ago and go, I can't believe you still say that they bashed cops' heads. And guess what they did? They took American flags. The flags that we care about so much. Is he going to cry? Flags that (laughs) Americans uh, uh, salute. The flags that supposedly Trump and his allies are so offended by when people kneel when the American flag goes up. I understand that. I understand. It doesn't seem right to people. But this flag that you love so much was used to bash in the heads of law enforcement officers. It's on videotape. You can't get away from it. Have you you seen can't it? lie. I haven't, I haven't seen Just it. like Josh Hawley. He now. can't escape what he did on January 6th. He can't escape the fact that he provided aid and comfort and guidance to the seditionists, the people who were trying to hang Mike Pence, the people mm. who were trying to find the Speaker of the House and beat and kill her, those people right there that were beating up the cops. Bashing him with American flags. He can't escape that. So, yeah, yeah, Joshy boy, you're, you're, you're shocked that somebody else that wasn't a seditionist, wasn't trying to overturn an American election, is sitting in the Senate. I think you got that backwards. We're all shocked that you're there. We're all shocked that you're not in jail. I'm not shocked that he's not in jail. What are we seeing on that clip that he was playing? Uh, people throwing sticks at the Capitol police officers who flashbang the crowd when they weren't doing anything. It was and literally, it, yeah, it was literally cut to the part Were where sticks with American flags on them. No, they, it looked like a, a crutch, and then like a couple probably of the baseball bats that Antifa was passing out. Oh, good. Yeah, so but maybe they were just giving them back to the people that handed them out. <laughs> no, we don't want them. <laughs> I so, cannot wait for this all to come out. My God. Oh. Yeah, it, it's going to be pretty interesting. So that I threw that one in there because that was a pretty good meltdown. Well, nobody burns Jen Psaki's bottom more than Mr. Peter Ducey. Only when Emerald Robinson can't get questions in. We all know she's famous for yelling them at her as she's frantically putting her mask on and storming out of the uh, press sec room in the fake White House built across the street from the real one, apparently. Um, They got into it regarding this narrative yesterday during the White House press conference, and uh, not only was she ill-prepared to not answer questions as she always does, she got aggravated even as frequently as she does now, almost on an everyday basis. Let's hear it. 
really. Just picking it up from there and clip. Thanks, Jen. Uh, a week ago, the National School Boards Association wrote to the president to say that their teachers feel like some parents protesting recently could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And then the attorney general put the FBI on the case. So does the administration agree that parents upset about their kids' curriculums could be considered domestic terrorists? Well, let me unravel this a little bit because the National School Board unravel Association us, is Jen. not a part of the U.S. government. I'd point you to them. What the Department of Justice said in a letter from the attorney general is that, quote, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. That is true. These were threats against public servants, threats against uh, members of the school board. Uh, regardless of the reasoning, uh, threats and violence against public servants is illegal. That's what he was conveying from the Department of Justice. But the Department of Justice does now have the FBI on this. Uh, something that the School Boards Association is asking for is uh, for the administration to consider using the Patriot Act to investigate some of these school board protesters. So would the administration be okay with the FBI using the Patriot Act to surveil these parents if that is what they decide. I don't speak on behalf of the National School Board Association. I speak on behalf of this government. Oh. The Attorney General yeah. has can put out a letter. They will take actions they take, and I would point to them for more information. And, uh, something that you said on Monday after some protesters were hounding Kirsten Cinema into a restroom, you said the President stands uh, for the fundamental right of people to protest to object and to criticize. So does the president support the fundamental right of these parents to protest at school board meetings? Of course, but he doesn't stand for the fundamental right. I assume you don't either for people to take a violent action uh, against members of public servants. And that's what the threats are about. And no. so no, he doesn't stand for that. Just no one should. Uh, John Kerry says that after France was cut out of the nuclear submarine deal and uh, they were upset enough about being left in the dark that they pulled their ambassador. He went to the president uh, and, quote, the president literally had not been aware of what had transpired. Lovely. So what else are you guys not telling the president? Of course he was aware of the French being upset. Let me finish. Let me, let me, let me finish. I know John Kerry quite well. Uh, he, of course, was aware, the president, of uh, the French being displeased about the deal with the Australians. Uh, John Kerry also speaks regularly to the French as a part of his uh, role uh, as the climate envoy. He's someone who uh, also served as Secretary of State. He's someone I alone traveled to France with him 25 times. He, have, of course, conveyed to the president what his read as, was uh, of what they were specifically unhappy about and how to help address it. You said this, this president's first love is foreign policy, so why doesn't he know about these things in real time? Of course he knew about the French being displeased. About, let me finish. She's like, you silly little Peter Ducey. <laughs> yeah, she, she, it, it's just too easy with her. So she's almost like probably thinking right there. God, I wish I I, I wish I let Emerald ask her question today. <laughs> yeah, I just like how they they pick and choose what public servants they want to protect and which ones they don't. Like violence yeah. and threats against police officers. Yeah, it's okay. Matter. Yeah, definitely, definitely something that uh, you know, brings up a lot of good points. And then she was again referring to the. Uh, Instance where, you know, the, the French have pulled their ambassadors from the United States in regard to that multilateral deal that the United States made with uh, 
Australia and the UK in regards to selling nuclear submarines to the Aussies to help fend off the Chinese. And, and it's pretty stunning to hear that, you know, Joe Biden might not have been in the, uh, in the loop either that or he forgot about it. I mean, deranged old man that he was. So, you know, that, that, that's kind of the first time we've heard of the Patriot Act coming up on that. Um, I, I think that's de- definitely something interesting that needs to be talked about. Uh, another thing that's that's been breaking and developing in regarding this narrative over the last 24 to 48 hours is the fact that Merrick Garland has some family ties to critical race theory. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people may not know this. It's been severely repressed in the media. I always like to do regular internet browser searches on some of the topics that I uh, pick for the show and, and audio clips that I bring in to support it because uh, I just want to see how much of a repression it's getting. Zero on Twitter. Zero on, like, Google or Bing, um, you know, and then you have one of the highest-rated cable news shows in the world uh, bringing this information that you can't find anywhere else other than there. So let's hear how our favorite paid op, Tucky, uh, led in on this narrative last night. On Garland's personal stake, the attorney general's personal stake in persecuting people who challenge the insanity we're seeing in school boards across the country. It turns out Merrick Garland's daughter is married to a man who is the co-founder of an education service company called Panorama Education, which you will not be surprised to learn provides materials on critical race theory to school districts. He looks extra Including dismantling, quote, unconscious bias and systemic racism in schools. Oh, so the thing that parents are complaining about is the thing that Merrick Garland's family is getting rich from. Two days ago, Merrick Garland just made it a crime to complain about the beliefs that are enriching his family. Does that make sense? You should know that this specific company has raised a ton of money from Mark Zuckerberg's foundation. Fairfax County Public Schools just signed a $1.8 million contract with Panorama to conduct a multi-year social and emotional learning screener Mm. that gives them the right to collect, quote, psychometrics on the school district students. Like, wow. You know, they're collecting psychometrics on your kids? What is a psychometric anyway? Social this is insane. Some of the questions ask whether students are, quote, sad or, quote, gender fluid. It's all making Merrick Garland's family rich. This is horrifying. It's also potentially legal. According to the DOJ's own conflict of interest policy, it raises serious ethical issues. But of course it does. The DOJ rules require employees to seek official guidance before, quote, participating in any matter in which his or her impartiality could be questioned. Oh, That would include situations in which matters can, quote, affect the financial interests of a relative with whom the DOJ employee has a close relationship. Hmm. That would probably include your daughter, Mary Carlin. Did you do that? You can be assured that no one at the DOJ's National Security Division is investigating that question tonight. Instead, they're promising to go after people to designate people like Elena Fishbein domestic terrorists. Elena Fishbein is a mother who has fought back against indoctrination at our children's school outside Philadelphia. And and he would go on to bring her in uh, for some commentary on that. Cagbro, that, that clip right there, I don't know if you've heard it or not. I'm pretty sure you have. If you didn't, does any of that stuff that, that Tucky kind of let us in on and regarding Merrick Garland and his family in combination with the narrative and the memorandum that the DOJ issued last week surprise you at all? Does it surprise me? Not at all. You no. know, when I first heard that come out, I uh, had to do some digging and, and all this kind of stuff. Well, just basic digging, right? Nothing like and I was actually able to find, I think I tweeted it out too when it came out, a New York Times article 
that uh, actually discussed in length back in 2018 the marriage of his daughter and I think Zan is or short for Alexander is the guy's name, the co-owner of Panorama Ed. And it discussed, I just wanted to kind of get something that showed, uh, you know, a marriage between them. And it talks at length about their marriage. And so it's not surprising because if you look at just even going back in the past, you know, Nancy Pelosi has family and everything. Elma, yeah, it's just, so no, it's not surprising. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just interesting to see, like we always talk about it. Uh, more and more each week in this technological age, you can only, th- these are things that 20, 30 years ago would go completely unreported. You wouldn't hear about any of it until yeah. par- parents were getting arrested at school board meetings in, in combination with the fact that uh, you- you'd probably never hear about Merrick Garland's uh, financial ties to critical race theory until long after he was either out of office or dead at his advanced age. And, yeah. and, and it's one of those things now where you've got, integrity groups all over the country in addition to like all the anons working out there that just you know as soon as something comes out and it seems fishy they're going to spider web that back until they find some kind of a tie that usually links to uh, why the narrative is prevalent these days yeah so w- moving on you can and almost debunk all these lies in real time yeah yeah and that's the yeah. thing now oh. i'm pretty sure that you know tucker works really well with the uh america first congress people and uh, I'm sure Josh Hawley will have this in his deck of cards when Merrick Garland does eventually appear on Capitol Hill in that uh, Senate Oversight Committee hearing. Um, something we already talked about a little bit was the election integrity. And the Maricopa County Election Audit hearing has made its way to D.C. this week. Um, we, we saw some pretty interesting things over the course of the last two days. Uh, in, in regards to the findings at Maricopa, you had, you had some of the, the key figures there testifying before, uh, some house representatives, uh, namely Andy Biggs, who, who's, who's pretty good when it comes to carrying out that America first agenda. Uh, he had some pretty good commentary back and forth with, uh, two of the guys there. And, and we're going to hear some of that narrative as we lead into this segment right now. Looking from the outside, the election process in Maricopa County was fraught with problems. If your claim was that the audit wasn't in order, you must acknowledge several broad observations of the auditors that they made with regard to this audit. Everything from procedure and conduct or misconduct on the part of the board and specific elected officials. You cannot argue that the question regarding election integrity from the right is an attack on our democracy, our constitutional republic, especially after four years of the Democrats claiming that the 2016 presidential election was stolen because of Russian interference. Mm. I've heard that before. A member of this committee said, Mr. Raskin from Maryland said, quote, I would love to challenge the Electoral College vote because our election was badly tainted by everything from cyber sabotage by Vladimir Putin to deliberate voter suppression by Republicans in numerous swing states. That's what he said. And we went through... We went through literally four and a half years, right up to the start of the November voting, the early balloting in Arizona of Hillary Clinton and her supporters in the media saying that the 2016 election was stolen by Republicans. So, I mean, he was kind of warming it up there, Uh, you know, giving a little bit of a narrative of the double standard. 
Um, Andy Biggs has been one of those guys who kind of carries the rigged and stolen narratives uh, since November and, and has done a good job of bringing it up when applicable up on Capitol Hill. Uh, I definitely think when you get these guys in there, you know, it, it's one of the times that you have to kind of talk about it. And then the double standard, we've played the montage that circulates on social media of like the 26 different clips of Democrats back in 2016 talking shit about Dominion voting systems. Three of those clips making it 23 people, 26 clips, Kamala Harris uh, herself out there bitching about it. Um, all the way up through the stuff that happened in this election regarding, believe it or not, the same equipment, shock to no one. Uh, yeah, he, he would go on to grill a couple of these guys that he had up there, including Bill Gates from, from Arizona. So I want to kind of see how he bounced these two punching bags back and forth over the course of like, you know, uh, this hearing that w- went on yesterday. With Mr. Bennett, then we'll go, we'll try to work on down so everybody can get there. Um, is it standard practice to delete files off a server after an election, Mr. Bennett? I hope not. Um, so, Mr. Gates, would you agree with that? Uh, I would say that it is appropriate to maintain files, oh, and that's exactly on. what we did. We deleted okay. the, the deleted files that have been discussed. They were archived. So you, you, so you admit that you guys did delete, Maricopa County did delete files off the server after the election? Yeah, that, that, were, that are archived. Yeah, we archived them yeah, first. Yeah, and so when you release <laughs> the trash bin. Um, uh, these, these uh, servers and these, this information to the auditors to begin with, they didn't have access to those archived files at first. Is that fair to say? They did not subpoena those. That's correct. Oh. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. so you didn't feel obligated to turn that over then to, to them? We, we responded to the subpoena. Okay. Mr. Bennett, your response to that? Like, Shit. Thought you I were done with me. frankly, laughable to suggest that a county, in response to a subpoena, could say we will delete files from the hard drives and materials that we give to the auditors because we have those files archived on data that we did not give to the auditors when the subpoena said turn over all the records related to the election. Yeah, see, that's the way I read the subpoena. It was read more broadly than, than the county read it, for sure. So, um, so your, your Twitter account mentions that the purging of the 2020 election database in the beginning of February is a standard practice. Can you please confirm for me that that's what you do for all elections, after all elections, you, that you do that? I, I cannot confirm that for you today, but we can certainly get you that answer, Congressman. Thank, thank you. Mr. <laughs> Chairman, can you, can you confirm that today or not? I, I really can't confirm that either today. Please stop asking I, I just questions. know that because there is limited space on these servers, when you have to run another election, then you have to make room for the additional uh, election data. So, so was there additional, was, was, was there still, well, let me just rephrase this. If that, if that is the standard practice, which is kind of, I don't think you guys are saying that you know for sure, but you're, uh, the chairman just intimated that, that that's the case. Can you explain to me why data was still present for prior elections uh, on the database oh. in and of itself? There it is. Exactly. Yeah, again, I, I don't have an answer to that question, but that we'll certainly get you an answer for it, Congressman. Okay. Um, all right. I, I would appreciate if you would give me that information. And I, I do think that it's important that our recorder has suggested that he will be answering every question. 
in a timely fashion. That's, that's the same recorder that campaigned that Adrian Fontes was incompetent and called him a criminal. Um, and he was the guy that was running the 2020 election, and that's and you actually hired someone to oversee Mr. Fontes because you guys didn't trust Mr. Fontes as well. Is that the same guy? Steve, is that the same Stephen Richard? <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it that way uh, exactly. But what we did was we did have statutory and boards, as you know, Congressman boards of supervisors have responsibility for election day operations, yep. and we took that back so that we would have uh, four Republicans and two Democrats overseeing the 2020 election. We thought. So, I mean, there you have it. Not only did bell? he boxing bell. The, no, yeah. that that means you you have ten seconds in 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 the hearing. I don't remember ever hearing that in a hearing. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, a lot of people usually talk really fast, and they'd say, "Oh, I'd like to give my time to the gentleman from Louisiana," or blah 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 blah. You know, only yeah. only only at certain points do they get to the actual bell. Um, I, I think it was pretty funny when he got to the actual segment of that narrative right there, where he's like, "So, you're saying that this is normal to delete an archive because there's not enough room, and you use yeah. it as a way." To avoid the subpoena, because the subpoena called for the data that you archived, and the only reason you archived it because you knew that data on archive servers was not originally subpoenaed, so you wouldn't have to give them those servers. You can only give them the ones with deleted information. And, and when he says, "Is it normal for stuff to do like that?" You know, there was like a brief pause, and you just see like uh, Chairman Sellers like looking over at Bill Gates, and he kind of like puts up his hands, like I don't know what to say, and then like does his hands to like, okay, you say, it. and then he's like, uh, um, uh, well, and he's like cuts him off right there, and he's like. And then why is there elections from 2018 still on those servers that weren't archived or deleted or moved to other external servers? They're both like, (laughs) so Cagbro, you see it, you called it, you were talking about it earlier in the show. What, what do you, what do you think? uh, You know, there's going to be more of this hearings. It's we'll probably have a couple senators run through it as well. And uh, you know, this whole Maricopa thing is, is a developing story almost day by day now, especially since it's made it into the, the beltway. What where do you see it going after some of these uh, congressional hearings? I think it's got to be investigated. When I, when I first saw that, I, you know, tried to notify the attorney general. And I'm, I'm sure that he may have seen it or anything like something like that. But it's a lot of this stuff, I think, is important to get them under oath. And, and just like now, you know, they, they're under oath and they just admitted that they deleted the files from the servers. It doesn't matter what they if they archived it somewhere else, the fact yeah. is they removed it after the subpoena requested what I think Bennett said, all related election materials or something like yeah. might be off in the wording there. But I think, you know, it, as, as time goes on, hopefully things get every day will be exposed because you're going to start to see hopefully more and more hearings, but more and more updates. From, yes. Yes. From, from this, because it's a lot to do. It's a lot to take in, especially for people who may just be starting to question that, hey, maybe there really is election fraud going on. Maybe I need to start looking into it. And it's going to be a lot of I think we're going to see a lot of big things happening with with Arizona. Yeah, so do I. I think it's interesting, too. You'll start. I mean, obviously, CNN, MSNBC, all the other locals, CBS and all those guys went around and said that, you know, this was just like some grandstanding to kind of confirm what they had already reported that no election fraud happened. But people who are actually taking to social media, Instagram and Twitter, 
uh, Telegram and seeing this stuff, actually the words coming from the people's mouth when they're being questioned by elected officials in Washington, D.C., definitely going to open up some new eyes, red pill some new people, I think. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I agree, too. Yeah. So round in third now, heading home, last topic. Uh, Joe Biden's dumpster fire built back crappier tour continued this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, Noah, you'll be pleased to know. I know you haven't saw a lot of it yet, but uh, his first stop was Michigan. Mm. And uh, there was a huge, warm welcome for Joe Biden. Everything <laughs> from... Let's go, Brandon. Miles of people with flags, fuck Joe Biden, <laughs> Trump save America. <laughs> like, as his motorcade drove down the street... Two, when he was moved from one place to another by helicopter, oh, the guy <laughs> did his entire yard and fuck Joe Biden right as the presidential helicopters. With paper plates, wasn't it? Yeah. I was wondering what they were. His helicopter cade flew over, so he got to see it. And you know Joe Biden looks out the window constantly when he's in the helicopter. He's Here, probably just like, Ooh. Here's the thing, and this is what we've all wondered for so long. Is it actually getting to him? Mr. 80 million votes himself. And he answered to the narrative of what is the deal with fuck Joe Biden? And it was in response to the huge yard sign that the guy made that his helicopter flew. Wait, he responded specifically to what was the deal with this yard sign? Well, I think somebody asked him about like the negative presence. And so listen, (laughs) it's a brief clip, but here's what he had to say about it. I love it. But notwithstanding some of the signs that I saw come, that's why 81 million Americans voted for me. The largest number of votes in American history. Clear majority. How about you? For supporting when they supported me. Stop it. No. Some My of, God, he did the, not. Some of, some God, of, I wish I would have gotten that Fauci no for that one. Some of the signs I saw on the way. No. He's like, signs, you saw an acre and a half of fuck Joe Biden. Yeah. So literally there's a, a sign that somebody, um, a person that follows me on Telegram, that's um, a follower. They posted, they, they had this huge uh, plywood piece of plywood with a pedo Joe in the middle of the street. <laughs> somebody crossed right in front of his motorcade when they were coming down the street with the, with the pedo Joe. Uh, that's the guy, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a big pedo Joe in black. Crossed the street spray in front paint. of the motorcade. Stop the motorcade, and like, it was what like, what kind of motorcade the- security do you have, or that's possible? <laughs> Listen, we've all seen it. I mean, Donald Trump and, and Dan Scavino have more Secret Service agents than Joe Biden does. Is Biden point. still driving around on the dented up uh, <sighs> excursions Beast. or whatever? <laughs> he was in oh Michigan. My God. For- oh yeah, I remember that. He was in Michigan for a reason. He's still running in pools with kids touching his hair. You know, I don't <laughs> know if you guys, if you guys ever heard this before, Greg. but. You know, he, he does have hairy legs, and sometimes that, that leg hair turns blonde in the sun, and then when he goes in the pool, there's, like, the thing with the... You guys heard that one? <laughs> oh. It was pretty funny a couple of weeks ago when we had Geisha on again, and she she had never heard the corn pop one. She thought it was great when I, when I sent it to her. She's like, I can't believe that he said that in front of all those African-American people. Oh, oh, oh. I, know. I was like, listen, he said a whole bunch of worse things yeah. uh, right now. Yeah. Nope. Like that Zoom call when he was uh, with all the uh, black Americans on here. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, speaking of all the Americans, he was in Michigan for a reason, and he's on his Build Back Better, Build Back Crappier tour right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he talked about America's at a point where they're risking losing their edge as a nation. 
and then not taking any responsibility for it. Let's hear just how he kind of tried to skirt his way around the... Uh, risking losing our nation. Yeah, he's right there. His Adderall-riddled comments. <laughs> <laughs> today to try to set some things straight if I can. I want to talk about what's fundamentally at stake for our country now at this moment. Going broke? I know it's an overused phrase, but I've been using it a lot. We're at an inflection point. Every anywhere from 40 to 80 years in America, there's an inflection point. We have to choose what direction we're going to go. Oh, so what now it's seasonal. Not, not Democrat, Republican, but what are we going to, who are we going to be? For a long time, America set the pace across the entire globe. For the better part of the 20th century, we led the world by a significant margin in investments in ourselves, in our people, in our country. We invested in our infrastructure, in our roads, highways, bridges, ports, airports, and the arteries of the nation that allow commerce to function smoothly and swiftly and allow us to generate significant income. We've invested in our people in opportunity. We're among the first to provide access, for example, to free education. It's the reason why in the 20th century we began to take off. It was back in the late 1890s, we decided among the first countries that we were going to be the first nation that every single American, regardless of their background, no, it wasn't at the time, regardless of their background, but based on income, would have free 12 years of education. We invested to win the space race. We led the world in research and development, led to the creation of the internet. And you know, but then something happened. We slowed up. We stopped investing in ourselves. America is still the largest economy in the world. We still have the most productive workers and the most innovative minds in the world. But we risk losing our edge as a nation. Our infrastructure used to be the best in the world, literally, not figuratively. Today, according to the World Economic Forum, we rank 13th. Our infrastructure, 12 nations have a better infrastructure than we do, which means they can move product. They can do so many things better than we can do it. We're among the first in the world to guarantee access to universal education. Oh, God. Now, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development ranks America Another 35th out of 37 major countries when it comes to investing in early childhood education as a percent of GDP. Think of that. Think of that. Of all the industrial nations in the world, the instinct Americans would say, if you asked them 25 years ago, would say, we're number one. We are not. There's only two industrial nations that are lower than us. All those investments that fuel the strong economy, we've, uh, we've taken our foot off the gas. We've taken, we just, I don't know what's happened. The world has taken notice, by the way. Kagro, do you actually hear some of these, uh, I mean, I, I heard you, you couldn't take it anymore, so I cut it a little bit short because it's just coming off of three years of only America first, the taxes, the tariffs, the bringing businesses back, the energy independence, and that's natural gas, oil pipelines, um, you know, the trade deals, the Canada and Mexico and America pact, the new, you know, NAFTA that Donald Trump reworked, getting out of bad international trade deals, bringing back manufacturing, and, and all this stuff, and he's like, oh, yeah, you, you used to say 25 years ago, you know, uh, you'd think we were number one. We're just not now. We're not now, literally, because of only what he's done in the last 10 months. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, it was yeah, a day he one when he closed down the Keystone Pipeline. That was yeah. day one, right? Day one. Yep. 
And you have the supply chains just like, holy shit. Yeah, talking yes. about clogging arteries. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you kind of unclog them when you just turn them off. Well, yeah, and they said, like, the, what did he say? I forget the exact, something about the arteries of the nation and blah, 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 supply chains and yada, yada. So, I mean, basically he just called rioters artery clogs. Yeah, he he was talking about (laughs) infrastructure, and that's another thing. You have this 3.5 trillion one. You've had ones during the Obama presidency that were like at the time ridiculous amount, 1.8 trillion, 2.7 trillion in the second administration. Here's the deal. The 3.5 trillion one that's proposed now eventually equals $8 trillion. And of that, less than 22% of that entirety of bill, which is basically a fourth of the national debt and, and, and would be like a fourth of the money ever printed in the history of the United States. And you only have 22% of it going for the infrastructure. He answered his own questions. Mm -hmm. He pushes for these bullshit bills to get passed when not even a quarter of the bill is eventually going to go to anything regarding infrastructure. And then 20 years from now, they're going to say they need a $16 trillion infrastructure bill because bills of the past have not met the needs originally proposed in infrastructure bills when, when this is just stuff that the normal American public just don't know. You know, they hear infrastructure bills. They see the GOP kind of try to kill. Oh, it. I guess it wasn't enough last time. We got to give them more. It's like, yeah, well, well, they, they, the they, same they, bullshit. They percentage. hear the word infrastructure. Right. And then they see the GOP kill it. And then they use that as campaign slogans for the completely uneducated when it comes to like the meat and potatoes of what goes into the bills. Like human infrastructure. Well, yeah. <laughs> <Soylent> deliciousness. <laughs> um, and that's going off the fact that we've got them up against such a wall with all this stuff coming out and leave it to the people who continuously let us down on just a basis over and over again. Uh, you have the raising of the budget, uh, the uh, debt ceiling, and then you have uh, some kind of a bipartisan agreement on um, a short-term debt limit deal. And we talked about it with uh Congressional candidate Steve Cara in the beginning of the show. We'll, we'll redo it with you. Um, this was late last night. 11 Senate Republicans vote yes, along with 50 Democrats to break a filibuster and a hold on the final vote in the short-term debt limit deal. They were some of the usual names. Barrasso, Blunt, Cap, uh, Capito, Collins, uh, Corrin, McConnell, Murkowski, Portman, Round, Shelby, and, of course, Thune. Uh, all huge fans of Donald Trump. And people who just want to sail this nation up the river. It's one of those things where you you really can't make this stuff up to the fact of how bad uh, the optics on this is. We we read poll numbers also with uh, congressional candidate Cara in the beginning of the show. Cagbro, I know you've seen them out in the last 24 hours, and this is from uh, Quinnipiac. 38% approval rating overall. (coughs) Numbers that were suggested during the Trump administration, but probably he never really achieved ever. Uh, in, uh, with independence right now, he's in the high twenties, 28, 29%. That was proposed of 60% during the election cycle, which we all know was a complete lie. And right now, 53% of the country is saying that the nation's going in the wrong direction. So you, you have all this stuff going wrong to where he's literally backed up against the wall. We could kind of hold them there and just wait for the next disaster to come for the next 12 months. And you have... Senate Republicans going and saving him, extending the uh, the continuing resolution, and then voting to raise the debt ceiling, uh, even though it's on a temporary measure. Does it make any sense to you? Not at all. 
deficit spending. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all it is. The bills got to come due, right? At yeah. the end of the day, it's going to have to be paid. And uh, oh, unless you're identifying three point five trillion dollars as zero now, like Joe Biden, right? Jen Saki, but you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. The it's going to come due, and there's a lot. You know, Republicans and Democrats are, are involved, right? It's not a partisan thing in passing this. No, they're definitely complicit in it. And it's funny that you mentioned that some of our friends over at Steve Bannon's war room weighed in on it last night on their 5 PM show, uh, which brings us to our final poll near the end of the show this week. I'm pretty sure Cagbro, you know what the second one is proposed (laughs) via the interwebs a little over a year ago has turned into one of our, uh, by Sholi polls, which we get a lot of different answers. Um, when we talk about Steve Bannon War Room, good show. They're kind of boomering in it, boomering it right now. Uh, <laughs> they're doing a lot of like get on getter, and then they're doing a lot of kind of like, oh, if we don't do this, everyone's going to die, which may be the case. But I'll you save that stuff for Sean Hannity. <laughs> you know, that's that's more of Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram's. Uh, Steve Bannon's kind of held the line in this ever since the. Uh, second impeachment trial with his show and he needs to kind of stay on the narrative of keeping all the youngsters engaged and entangled. But getting back to our poll, it's a yes or no answer. Uh, I'll start with myself and then I'll send it around the podcast team before I send it to you, Cagbro. Is Steve Bannon Q? I'm going to say no. Noah? Nah. Antoinette? Nope. Cagbro? It's a tough one, but I'm going to have to say no. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) How about you? Let me check check my resources real quick. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Good to hear. Uh, Let's hear him and Boris Epstein kind of talk about some of the uh, issues regarding this this deal that they were able to reach yesterday on Capitol Hill. Epstein. Pathetic. Then they've given Joe Biden two wins in a week when he deserved to have none. This is a guy who, according to Quinnipiac, is a 38% approval rating with independence. He's down in the 20s. And Mitch McConnell playing some 6D chess is now giving him wins. Unacceptable. The message is this. To you, to the MAGA posse, the MAGA movement under the leadership of President Trump, color within the lines, but color boldly. Have your senators hear you loud and clear. They have to vote no on this deal. No on the debt ceiling increase. No matter if it's two months, two days, two hours. It's a no from Republicans. It should have been a no on the continuing resolution. It is a no on the drunk boondoggle that is all the spending that that the Democrats want to do. It's a no on any part of feckless Biden's agenda. Uh, by the way, I want everybody to go down to the chat rooms, look at Real America's Voice. We got the phone numbers up. I want you to call your senators. Boris said, colors in the line, be civil, but be bold and be hard and be firm under no circumstances. This is why Mitch McConnell, this is Norman B. Layup. He can't get 10 votes. Mitch McConnell, the great master of the Senate, he can't get 10 votes right now. Let's make it as painful as possible. And if people sit there and get to the ramparts, it won't happen. Okay, real quickly, there was a hearing today in the House Oversight Committee. 10 more seconds. Just imagine, this is a a leader of a party in the Senate. Maybe sometimes you'll have a defection. Maybe you'll have two. Maybe you'll have three. This is the same as a general who's got a division or or a small group of 50 soldiers, and only seven or eight are saying, yes, I'm with you. The rest are saying, hey, how about this? F you. Okay? (laughs) So there you go. 
I mean, they, they kind of explained it in a really good way that it makes it easy for everyone to understand. Joe Biden deserved no wins. He's got zero capital gain based off legitimate poll numbers that are coming from a moderate to left leaning polls poster company. And then you've got the usual douchebags who are getting paid by lobby groups and special interests and, and are literally Democrats, you know, occupying seats as Republicans, as is the case with like Cassidy and Thune and, and Murkowski, um, you, you know, and then what, what do we get out of it? Unregulated debt just to keep the government open. And, and who knows what we're going to get out of it down the road in regards to, uh, you know, continuing to weaken our economic infrastructure. Noah, you like unmitigated spending, right? Mm, you sure? I don't feel like it's a good idea. What about on Amazon? Ooh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Different um, story. Yeah. So here's the yeah. last part. I'll max out a credit card for that. Yeah, there you go. J- Joe <laughs> Biden then left Michigan, headed on down to Illinois, and uh, had a little incident with... Beetlejuice, Lori Lightfoot. Oof. Apparently, they, they got into it on the tarmac yesterday, up to the point to where she didn't sit next to him at one of the functions they went to, and she left before his speaking event. I mean, oh, her, really? her not sitting next to me would be a win. Right. Not oh, really wow. too much of a loss, but just for the optics' sake, uh, I guess he said something to her that just completely pissed well, her off. I was going to say, was it after he said what he said? Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. No, no, no. I know what I know what he's talking about. Are you going to play the clip? No, play. Tell us what what happened. He called her Mister. Oh. <laughs> well, Mister Lightfoot. Oh, that that was part yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, no, he called her Mister Mayor. Mister Mayor. Yeah, Mister yeah. Mayor. I didn't know. I didn't see anything else, but that I, I I saw that and I um shared it on my Telegram. So I'm assuming that might be the case. We need a that's a man baby for the soundboard, right? So, yeah, but one thing I did want to play from that event that he was in at Michigan yesterday was he was talking about the vaccine mandates, which is something that's, you know, really important for a lot of Americans as we head into the holiday season. There's especially the federal government has, you know, hard deadlines running up into the Thanksgiving holiday, and it's not looking good for those 60,000 plus migrants on their way up from uh, Central America right now when they're getting ready to, you know, cut a half of the Border Patrol out of the uh, workforce. So said it's not looking good for the migrants. It's looking really good for the migrants. Well, I, yeah, I, great. <laughs> there, there might be some longer than usual wait times though at the border. Uh, <laughs> he did talk about uh, the vaccine mandates, and I kind of want to uh, play back-to-back clips on that one. Let's check it out. We have to beat this thing. So while I didn't race uh, to do it right away, that's why I've had to move toward requirements that everyone get vaccinated where I had the authority to do that. Asshole. That wasn't my first instinct. You don't. My administration is now requiring federal workers to be vaccinated. We've also required federal contractors to be vaccinated. If you have a contract with the federal government working for the federal government, you have to be vaccinated. We're requiring active duty military to be vaccinated. We're making sure health care workers are vaccinated because if you seek care, at a healthcare facility, you should have the certainty that the pro- people providing that care are protected from COVID and cannot spread it to you. You know, what's pretty funny is uh, that uh, they're talking about that narrative right there. In a lot of places, especially in like New York now, where we've seen thousands of uh, frontline workers, especially doctors and nurses, being relieved of their duty and no longer employed and unable via executive order from the governor not to be able to file for unemployment, you have the Department of Defense, the DOD, coming in to perform a lot of these jobs, including giving the jabs out. 
I did a little digging on that. Did you guys know the DOD is not required to get the vaccine until late 2023? Not, no, the I DOD. didn't know that. That's when some of the clinical trials were over. And I guess what their bargaining unit, their labor union vied for said, we will comply. We will provide testing when applicable. But at the end of the day, we want to see the first rounds of clinical trial out. Government went with them. Said okay. Yeah, well, I mean, they're they don't even have comorbidity or whatever. So how, how are how DOD contractors it? supposed to get vaccinated then before then? They're not. They're not. So so they're literally replacing the people who refuse to get the jab with people who have not gotten the jab, maybe, and don't have to get it until twenty twenty three. Yeah. But just remember, right. when you're trying to do, they will get it after the trials. That's like the little probably the loophole, right? right? But no, so other people are like, I'm I'm not getting it at all, no matter what. What you're thinking in your head is correct, Noah. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like the DOD, that's a kind of all-encompassing Department of Defense, right? Like mm-hmm. that's people in the military, yeah. active right. duty. Right. Let's go, Brandon. Science. Let's go, Brandon. And let's <laughs> go, Joe Biden, saying he's actually, and you could hear it throughout the statement, glad that people who refuse to get the vaccine are getting fired. Wow. Yeah. The business roundtable and others told me when I announced the first requirement, that encouraged businesses to feel they could come in and demand the same thing of their employees. More people are getting vaccinated. More lives are being saved. Let's be clear. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs, look at the bigger story. I've spoken with Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, who's here today. United went from 59% of their employees to 99% of their employees in less than two months after implementing the requirement. 99%. Because they fired people? Yeah, because they fired people. (laughs) So they they were able to get over the threshold by firing the part of the workforce that wouldn't get the jab. Tag bro, that narrative, obviously the stuff we were just mentioning in addition to those Biden clips, which I'm sorry you had to sit through. Sometimes we got to play them, Uh, you know, just to be able to make sure everybody gets both sides of the news. Um, I know, I know you're where you stand in regards to the jab and stuff like that, but how do you feel about that overall narrative to where he's actually now basically he's skewing the stats by by including people that were fired, not into the overall totals. Yeah. He's not not that I need to say it really, even though everyone already knows that he's a complete idiot and a liar. Yeah. He's creating the narrative. They have been creating the narrative. That this, like you mentioned earlier in a in a comment, the, the um, I just lost my train of thought. The pandemic of the unvaccinated. Yes, it's not that. No, you know, they talk about they're just blowing shit out of their ass. If you ask me, I mean, because the science doesn't even it doesn't make sense. The the science that they're trying to push. You get vaccinated, you're still spreading the disease. You're still contracting the disease. Sometimes at a higher rate. At, at, at a higher rate, you're losing immunity capabilities. They're waning is what they call it. Yes. And so it's just the narrative they're trying to push, uh, you know, like a bunch of other narratives. And, you know, it's. Failing miserably. So I'm gonna get you, you've had more COVID right. deaths, more COVID deaths this year when supposedly over 100 million people in the United States are fully vaccinated, some with boosters, than you did last year when at the same point there was no readily available vaccine for anyone other than the most compromised, air quoting now, 
population demographic in the United States. Yep. Come on. If somebody has an adverse effect to the vaccination, mm-hmm. does it count as a COVID death? <laughs> Probably counts twice. Mm. Yeah. Counts as a COVID death if it's uh, under 14 days, right? CDC reported out. Do you, I don't know if you guys remember if it's if there's a reaction within 14 days. Yep. They count it as a COVID death or they don't count it as a I can't remember. I think they don't count it as a COVID death if they get the shot and they die within 14 days. Perfect. Yeah, if you die before the 14 days of the second dose, you're considered unvaccinated. Mm. Exactly. You died of exactly. COVID. How dare you? Cagbros, numbers, doing metrics to fit a narrative, right? I mean, one hundred percent, which which would be the only honest number that we've said in this entire segment. Cagbro, before we're getting ready to wrap here, I mean, there is some things that you're known for historically online as doing what you do. One of them is breaking news stories. Uh, do you have anything for us today before we cut? Not that I'm exclusively bro- well. One possibly that I just heard while we were talking. There's. Uh, I think I heard that the Hill reported and a couple of other reports coming out that the White House, Jen Psaki, I guess, talked about it. We'll have to I'll have to go back and grab the clip. But apparently they are releasing Trump's records regarding January 6th. Oh, no. Yeah, um, Biden uh, blocked it, right? What's that? I, I was just looking into he, that. He myself. asked Biden to block it. Uh, huh? He asked, so Biden. he asked Biden to block it. but and And I don't know. I'll have to further investigate that. But. One of the court cases that I follow is the United States Virgin Islands court case against uh, Jeffrey Epstein's estate. Okay. And okay. They break a lot of, um, they've been issuing a lot of subpoenas against major, major corporations like Wells Fargo and Citibank. And just now they actually, I'm about to tweet the links to the documents and everything, but they, uh, they just subpoenaed one of the biggest UK banks, Barclays. Oh, wow. And they're requesting a ton of documentation from them regarding whatever records they may have had with Jeffrey Epstein and his associations and and that kind of stuff. So I'll tweet that out here shortly, but um, that's one of the, I see one of the things that's uh, breaking news right now. Oh, I like it. I was going to say right now, um, Biden blocked uh, attempt by Trump to withhold White House documents from the January 6th probe. That was the headline. Ah, okay. Interesting. At the same time, we're hearing that everyone from Dan Scavino and Steve Bannon all the way up through President Trump are not going to be, they're going to pull a little Maricopa Board of Supervisors on the uh, January 6th commission and say, (laughs) nice subpoenas. It'd be a shame if I didn't follow them. Are you looking at my subpoenas? Yeah. You got something to say about my subpoenas? I think it's really funny. They, they, they're saying that they can't get um, Dan, but he's like out in public. Yeah. I really, I think they're bullshitting because if they really wanted to serve him, they could. What if he's got but like I a rental scared. football team just doing like defense for him, just like smashing all the subpoena? Dan Suvino is extremely insulated and we all know it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Another delicious Friday edition in the book. And, and what an edition it was. Um, in addition to having on a great guest like congressional candidate Steve Carr today, we were joined by none other than Mr. Cagro88. Sir, thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for all the uh, commentary you gave on the narratives we talked about today. And uh, we hope to have you back at some point in the future, hopefully when you're uh, a lot, lot, lot more famous because you're just absolutely killing it out there right now. Good to be on here. I love you guys. Love what you guys do. And it's... Uh 
been awesome. We'll have to do it again. And I think like we could probably agree on the, on, on behalf of the podcast crew and then your narrative. We don't do this for ourselves. Believe me, no one likes me doing the show twice a week, sometimes three less than my wife. Noah's tired because we work a lot at Walmart and Antoinette's a young mother. So, you know, for as much fun as this could be at sometimes, it's a lot of work and uh, definitely something that we do for the community because we want to make sure that everybody's in the know. Cagro, where can we find you on social media? I mean, I'm sure pretty much everybody already follows you, but just in case there's some extra places, why don't you let everybody know? Yeah, so Twitter, I'm at Cagro88. Um, tell them on Telegram, t.me slash Cagro. And the Instagram handle is a little bit different because I've been, you know, killed about 10 times on Instagram, but it's Imagine underscore, underscore CAG BR zero underscore eight. I know that's kind of hard to write, but it's all in the link of my Twitter. So if you follow my Twitter, then you'll follow the other links there. So oh, there you go. Perfect. And you can follow the Stay for Breakfast podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the show, rate it. Don't forget to leave a review. Download, listen, like, follow, and share. Show creds of the week, obviously, for uh, Cagbro88 and Mr. Steve Kara out of Michigan, six. But some of the regulars, Dawnstar1776, The Breb Room. Canadians DS11 and 12 has evolved once again. He's now the Moose is Loose with Qs for Os. So you could follow him on Instagram there. Uh, Babe does the news. Emerald Robinson of Newsmax. Steve Bannon, who's not Q, and the War Room crew. Christina Bob of OAN, and Mr. Tom Pappert of The National File. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to follow our sponsors. We love making small businesses great. Again, they're all American-owned and operated. Odyssey, audio equipment done right. They're at odyssey.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready, gear. If you like Kydex and you want to put a picture of your cat on something, Kydex, yeah. go and get it done over at stayreadygear.com. Uh, they're on Facebook and they're on Instagram. Also, man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. Winter's a coming. Hopefully it won't be a dark one. Nothing says loving like buying a pot roast at the store. Shake it, rub it, cook it, throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they're at manrubs.com. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms, servicing Southern California for over a decade, five-star rating, licensed FFL. He's got ammo. He's got a new website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger, answers really quick, or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. And then our tactical gear dealers, Mediocre Medic for all you first responders out there. They're on Instagram. They're at mediocremedic.com. And Dumpbox, Mark Joe Friday. Owner, operator, CEO, home of the zero fucks duck. Dumpbox.us, they're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends of the week, Real Brenda Memes 8, for now, she keeps getting nuke. James of We The People Radio, Mike Crispy of Right Side Broadcasting Network and the Red, White & Truth Podcast, the purple-haired righty, Wits Up 717 for helping me out with that Dan Scavino meme yesterday, um, the Defiant Party, kind of a new account, Blame Seventina, and then we've evolved after nuking Hunter Biden's crack house. Nice. Yeah. Still waiting for Baby Cakes 2.0 to come back as 3.0. Guys, before we cut with you today, we've got some uh, exciting shows coming up. Next week on the 12th, Tuesday, we're going to have the Sassy Conservative. And on the 15th, we're going to have Sheep No More. Um, the 19th of October, we'll have Gianna Simone, host of Gianna Loves. Um, 
And on the 26th of October, we're going to have Mike Crispy from the Right Side Broadcasting Network, host of the Red, White, and Truth podcast. He'll be coming back to do some show with us. In addition to having dates not set yet, Miss Anna Paulina Luna and gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. Already locked in, just working out the, the dates on that for you guys to make sure that their voices are heard for you all on this show. Before we cut, things we all need to do between now and Tuesday. And we hope everybody has a great weekend. Do your own research. We talk about it every week on the show. Look at that. We had another guest on today, Cagbro88. First thing he says when he starts talking about developing a topic, I started to do a deep dive on it. I started to do some research on it. Do your own research. You're a better person for it at the end of the day. Hold the line. Ride it. Buy the dip. Get the fuck in here. Snatch the wigs. Ice your balls. Let's see what happens, especially after a Trump rally this weekend. But most importantly, where we go one, we go all. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 71 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'd like to again thank our guest, Mr. Cagbro88, for coming on with us today. And we'll be back Tuesday with the sassy conservative to break down the Trump rally in Iowa this weekend and more. On behalf of the podcast team, I'm Roan. Noah? Yo. See you later. Bye. Antoinette? Guys. And Mr. Cagbro88, our guest today. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks a lot. And take care. numbers in places like Coleman, Alabama and Perry, Georgia. I mean, this is uh, no other elected official in history has ever come close to that. Why do you think that is? Well, it's a great honor. Uh, They like what I'm saying. Uh, Probably they think I'm extremely handsome, but I'm only kidding. (laughs) 